Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. We're going to get right to the rivalry. Keenan Peely, BYU, gearing up for the game, meeting with the media. Here's Keenan. Obviously, you talked after the game about the tackling and maybe could have been, been better. Uh, has that been kind of a point of emphasis in practice the last two days for you guys? And, and how much so? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely been focusing on that and um, just straightening up some of our assignments, I think, has been a main focus lately. Uh, make sure we got the plays down, both those two. I wanted to ask you about uh, Josh Wilson. Uh, how's he coming along? What do you see from him? And does he have any potential? Oh, yeah. Josh Wilson is a heck of an athlete. Uh, he's someone who can stop the run and is deceivingly fast in space. And I think Josh has all the potential in the world to play. And then just one last one. You, uh, what are your feelings? What do you remember about past rivalry games? And maybe what have your brother passed on to you about the game? And what do you expect? Yeah, I mean, I've watched all the games. I was only part of one. That was my first year back in the mission. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's always been a fun rivalry to watch. Obviously, it's been some some down years and, and losing, but we're excited this year to show what we got, show what we've prepared for, and um, excited for the matchup. Other questions? I'll ask another one. What has what uh, Trajan told you about it? He played in quite a few. Man, he said it's always just been a, a fun game, one he always looked forward to. Um, I remember emailing him on the mission, and He's like, hey, this is the game this week, Utah. You know, we got the fans going crazy and on, on the internet, social media. So there's a lot of buildup. And usually that's what I remember from it, is just that, that buildup excitement. Norma and then Jared. Hey, Keenan. So having already gotten 17 tackles just in the first game, how do you – just move on from that and how do you look to continue to improve and like what's the next step for you? Keep doing the same thing, keep doing the 111th. Um, those 17 tackles came from um, our team doing their assignments, our D-line holding strong. So just keep doing my position, keep doing my role and trust my teammates to do their role and whatever the outcome is, that's what it is and we'll be okay. And have you done anything differently over the off season to kind of prepare for this jump in production? Uh, for me, it mentally has been my focus this offseason. Obviously getting physically stronger, but to, to try to understand the game a little more, learn the offense. I understood my defense assignment, but how that kind of relates to what the offense is going to do, wanting to do. So yeah, I'd say the mental side has, has helped me a little bit. Keenan, you talked after the game, and even now you we were talking about tackling. I wanted to ask about the short passing game. Arizona got a lot of yards off of those, and a lot of it, like you mentioned, was because you weren't able to rally to the ball quick enough or they were able to make guys miss. How do you address that? What needs to happen to, to minimize those gains? Yeah, simply rally up. You know, um, it's usually a good sign if, if a team is throwing those check downs, throwing it into the flats, and we just got to rally up faster trust each other, keep them in advice, and, and get the job done, really. Awesome. We'll go Mitch, last question. 
Yeah, Keenan, uh, if, if memory serves me right, when you were coming out of Timpview, both BYU and Utah, uh, obviously BYU, but Utah also offered you two. Um, how, how close was the recruitment for, for you when you were coming out of high school? Was, was BYU always the place, or was it kind of a torn situation between BYU and Utah? Yeah, at one point it was definitely close, I'd say, but um, when it came down to it, I understood this is where I needed to be, this is where I wanted to be, and that this university had what I wanted. But, yeah, I can't lie and say that it wasn't close at, at one point in my recruitment. And, and, you know, one of the things with this rivalry is that it's just so close in proximity, uh, you know, with, with how close the two schools are. Do you have any connections with either the coaches or players at Utah currently that, uh, that you'll see coming up on Saturday night? Um, not so much. Uh, maybe some coaches through recruiting. Obviously, I know Britton Covey from high school. He was my quarterback. So, And Devin Kalfusi, who was also here. Some of those guys who are now on the team. There's the Cougars, Keenan Peely. Now, here's the Utes, Devin Kafusi. Yes, Devin Kafusi's on both sides of this rivalry, including his dad, who coached at both schools. Here's Devin on his rivalry memories and the way his family handles it. Um, I had an uncle, my dad's younger brother, Rich. He played there as well. And then my dad, starting his coaching career, actually started up here at the University of Utah. And then, um, and then uh, he took the job. Uh, to BYU, so he was able to go back to BYU, and that's where, you know, I've been and grew up down in Provo. And, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of been split. My dad um, had, you know, the rest of his brothers play at Utah. Um, you know, we've had cousins come to Utah. Um, the whole BYU push was, my, you know, my immediate family, my older sister playing basketball, two brothers playing, playing football, um, me over there, my, my dad coaching there. Um, my two other cousins playing there, uh, Isaiah, that's got done, and Jackson, that's still there. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a, you know, I was, I was kind of a, a swinging back to the University of Utah side. And it's been really fun um, coming up here and being in Salt Lake, seeing family, um, hearing stories of family that's been here. Um, you know, I, my cousin Taliana, she's a superstar on the soccer team. And so, yeah, and, and you know, all I could think about is uh, where my family came from, starting with my grandparents coming from Tonga. Um, their whole reason was to, you know, have us have a better life here. And education was the number one goal and sports was able to open that door for us and really you know me kind of at the end of it right now you know there's more confuses to come um but right now it's you know i i can i can't help but just feel grateful um after you know my time at BYU, my family being up here hearing stories of my extended family up here uh i'm just super grateful for you know what both programs have, have done for my family my family is super grateful and all we say you know is you know football has been good to us so we'll be good to football and um yeah, we're just exciting week, really is. Yeah, that was an amazing answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have anything else? You guys can go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious, does the fact that you've had so many family members at both schools really fire up the rivalry, or because they've been at both schools, does it kind of calm it down a little bit? I think a little bit of both. Jeez, um, yeah, that, that, that's a good question. Def, definitely both in the sense of, you know, for example, when I was down there growing up, if you were a U fan, um, seeing cousins up here play, you know, you, you cheer for them. It's family, um, but you know, when you're when you're in it, um, you know, like me up here, like we just want to win. It's, it's all about winning, you know, week to week, uh, and especially just for the seniors and stuff. We want to um, send them off on our right senior year um, compared to last year, and um, send them off with a win down, down at Lavelle Edwards. Um, 
but yeah, just fired up. You know, as a kid, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, ten-year-old me would wouldn't believe where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of good memories in that stadium, and um, you know, it's been a good time here. So I assume you watched the Arizona game with yes. BYU. Yes. What did what did you think of the Cougars, the way they played, and what what that means for your game with them? Um, you know, it's a, it's a big game. You know, for first game. Um, Coming off the season they had last year, um, they're in a you know a, a better situation than most most teams across the nation last year, and so um, you know being able to see them uh, do what they do, for me I, you know I, I'm kind of watching as as a fan as some close friends and like I said some family over there still, so I was just really happy to see um, you know guys stay healthy and, and play and that's what I was telling them I was like hey just um, I get, you know can't wait to see you when, when I'm on the other side. Was only wearing BYU here then. Yeah, no, I was. You know, it's funny because my brothers, we have photos of us. You know, little here up at University of Utah. I was too little to really understand. Um, but you know, we have, we have photos of us at Coach Max Kids Camp and stuff. My my siblings and everything. Um, I think my brother he has a photo of him on with Steve Smith when Steve Smith played here. Bronson when he was little. Um, and then it's like you know with my uncle Jason coming through and Henry and Doug. Um, but then me, you know, Provo, that's, you know, when we moved, I was about five years old and I was BYU through and through. And then a little Utah came into my life when, when Britt committed there in high school. And so, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting growing up. I've been lucky and fortunate to grow up so close to both programs and, and have their influence on me. What's the first rivalry game you remember? First rivalry game I remember. Um, I think it was the first one. I don't think it was overtime. It might have been overtime at Lavelle Edwards. Was it Ratliff came in and started a quarterback for the Utes? And I, I, I think I remember that one. I think yeah, the last play or something um, dropped pass in the end zone, a diving, a diving attempt at it. BYU did. Uh, that was the first one. I really remember, um, you know, back to Harleen. I was praying my guts out here in Rice Cycles as a little kid. Um, I remember my mom, you know, viewing Utah fans and especially being a you know, coach's family. You know, there's a really hostile my mom said, that's it. Uh, no more rivalry games for you. You know, I was getting hostile with people. That's my dad out there and stuff. Just, just all for that. I remember, you know, um, as a BYU fan, uh, you know, fourth and 18. So, you know, that stuff just kind of stays in your mind as a kid. And, um, you know, th- th- those are great moments of um, not just um, programs, um, you know, but as sports and as, as kids growing up, you know, I will remember never forget those moments. But then, you know, remember tough ones as a kid, you know, I'm talking from it. BYU was, you know, the 54-10 blowout down, down to um, that little Edwards. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's kind of like the real kind of mark of the year for me. You know, football season, you know, New Year's January 1st, but, you know, fall comes along. That's kind of the how the year in my life runs off on time. And so... So do you think Cougar fans are going to see the Kafusi on the back of your jersey and go after you? I think so. Yeah, that's a, we were, uh, you know, that's what Coach my players are asking me. Uh, I, for sure. I think, you know, I think it's got to be if it's, if it's a rivalry, and especially uh, me running out there. Um, already getting some, you know, some teased at by close friends and, and family and old classmates from down there. And so um, in just knowing how that game goes and, but me and Red, yeah, I'm for sure going to hear something. There's Devin Kafusi, who's been all over this rivalry. Now, here's Utah head coach Morgan Scally. So first off, just thoughts on your, your defense and, and how you guys played on Thursday in the opener. Uh, this, the issues that we had, you know, the majority of them are technique issues, you know. So 
good thing is is that that should improve from week one to week two. Uh, I love the effort with which we played. Uh, I love the takeaways. Would have liked to have had one more, but uh, it was a good first start. You know, the 17 play drive, that was a gut punch. Nice job finishing, but it should never have gotten to that point. A couple third downs there that we gave up that uh, should not have, but um, I love coaching this crew, and uh, we've got good coaches, and it's, it's fun right now. After such a short season last year, is there still a lot of upside for these guys? It's not really a full season under their belt? Uh, you bet, particularly in the secondary. Young secondary that didn't have the, you know, the crowd involved in, in, in the games last year. Um, so, and that will be a big factor in this, this week's game, right? Uh, you give up a play on the road and, and you got the fans going crazy. How are you going to respond? You know, particularly because we're, we're a man coverage team and you're going to give up plays. So how do you respond? So it'll be, it'll be interesting. But yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that played for the first time, that started for the first time, and uh, they're really starting to gel right now. As someone who's, who's been around the rivalry as long as you have as, as a player and a coach, is there, a, is there more you know, uh, of a message you're, you're giving your players for this, for this particular game than you do any other? Uh, not, not really. I, you know, the, the main thing is that nothing that is said will ever win you a game uh, or lose you a game for that matter. You know, it's what you do on the field. It's the technique with which you play. It's being assignment sound. It's it's knowing schematically where you're supposed to be and then showing up on game day and making those plays. So they're a very good football team. They're very well coached. And if, uh, if we don't show up and play disciplined football, it's not going to be a good day. What, what, did, what did you think of their running game and the way Tyler Algeo ran the ball and, and the challenge that presents you guys? Well, it's it's not only him. You got a quarterback that that you know all of a sudden things are locked down in the secondary, and he can take off on you like he did against Arizona. Very athletic. Uh, Algier is a very powerful back. Runs behind his pads. Rarely is the first guy bringing him down. Um, they've got good offensive linemen, good tight ends that block. So, you know, it's, it's like any other game that we preach to our guys. You have to stop the run, and that's a, that's a big challenge this week. Uh, pleased, you know, and, and they know they're not there yet. You know, a couple, you know, few few mistakes, but um, they're continuing to grow, splitting that time. Uh, I love, you know, the, the the length causes issues for people with X, you know, and uh, and Van has got a little bit more quickness off the edge. So they, they present, um, you know, they both have their unique talents, and it was a good first game for them to learn from. Thumbs up. One, one other thing about their tight ends. Yes. There was a lot of talk about how good they were going to be. Statistically, they didn't have that much of an impact in that game. What did you see on film from them, either what they could produce or why they didn't because of the Arizona defense? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't look at one game. I look at the entirety of, of what they've done. You look at what Holker did to us in 2018. He's a dang good tight end. You look at what uh, Rex is doing all last year. Big target, great hands. So they're a threat. And even though it didn't, you know, may not have shown up in game one, they're a threat. Yep. There's Morgan Scally. He has got plenty of respect for the BYU tight ends. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov. They met with the media, Klyovkov, touring the Utah campus, seven, uh, seventh of his 12 stops as he tours all the campuses. And he had a lot to say about the way Pac-12 teams are going to schedule going forward. It's going to be different. And if you're looking forward to the LSU and Arkansas series, well, hold on to your hats there. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
moves when I break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The holy war is here. Kalani Sataki and the Cougars look to snap Utah's winning streak at LaBelle Edwards Stadium on Saturday. Your home for the best holy war coverage is right here on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Mark Harlan, George Klyavkov meeting with the media, the Pac-12 commissioner, answering a lot of questions about how the college football playoff is going to be televised. Uh, Is CBS interested in... The Pac-12, which might mean, you know, really good games in the afternoon when the whole country can see them. What's going to happen to the Pac-12 network? Uh, What does the alliance scheduling look like? And how might that impact, if it does at all, the Utah-BYU rivalry? Here's the commissioner, George Klyovkov, with Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan, both of them together on the podium. Do you expect the college football playoff going forward to evolve into a multi-network event? I I think it has to evolve into a multi-network event. Um, (laughs) The, the idea that we would have one network who owns all of the postseason rights for college football, I think would be bad for all of college football. We need multiple networks invested in our regular season, and the best way to get them invested in our regular season is to have them owning a piece of our postseason. CBS is obviously losing the SEC package in a couple mm-hmm. of years. Are they interested in the Pac-12? I can't talk about what individual networks are interested in, but I'd be surprised if any of the networks, and I've spoken to all of them, Uh, wouldn't be interested in owning a piece of college football. It is the preeminent uh, kind of uh, sports property after the NFL. It's the second most watched sports property. And in a world of um, bundled media services, there's nothing more important than live sports. Do you see the Pac-12 evolving maybe towards eight conference games instead of nine to play more intersectional games with the advent of the Alliance? Yeah, the, um, the North Star for football scheduling for the Alliance, and it'll take us a while to get there, uh, is having eight conference games in each of the conferences and having one game a year against each of the other two conferences. So Pac-12 schools would play, pay, play uh, eight Pac-12 conference games, one game against the Big Ten, one game against the ACC. Uh, one of those would be home, one of those would be away and would switch every year. Uh, but understand that we're respecting all existing contracts and all traditional rivalries. And when you do that, it takes a little while to get there. Um, the only thing that could really accelerate that in the near term is if we came to an agreement with our media rights partners to uh, go from nine conference games to eight, and the Big Ten did that as well, uh, we could start as early as next year if we got those agreements in place playing one of those games against the Big Ten. What is the likelihood that that might happen? I think you'd have to ask ESPN and Fox for us. Um, I think it's a very compelling trade to go from nine conference games to eight conference games and one game against the Big Big Ten. So I think it's likely that they would agree to it, but uh, I haven't dug into that with them yet. When you made your announcement regarding the alliance, George, the Big 12's future was a little nebulous at the time. They've since made would appear to be some moves. How do, how do you foresee if those moves are made and adding four teams to become 12 again, that factoring them into the quote-unquote power five world? Yeah, so all of those moves are speculative. 
None of them have been announced yet, and uh, I don't really want to speculate on what they might or might not be doing. I read everything you do about who they might be inviting by the end of the week, but I don't know the outcome of that. Uh, what I will tell you is that when we moved very quickly to make our decision about whether or not to add teams to the Pac-12, and then very quickly to announce the alliance, um, one of the reasons why we moved uh, so swiftly was that we thought that it would give some immediate balance uh, to the Big 12 and allow them to proceed with whatever they needed to do, uh, because we thought that the vibration that was going through college athletics uh, after it was uh, announced that Texas and Oklahoma were leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC was not good for college athletics. To what extent did the two of you talk about but, by the way, are you getting any questions? No, this is These great. are all me? This is the best. To what extent do the two of you uh, kind of talk about the short-term and long-term visions of the athletic department here at the University of Utah? And I guess how can, how can you help Mark kind of achieve that if, if that's kind of part of the purview of your conversation? Yeah. Do you want to start with? Yeah, I mean, I think what's, what's been great about this visit, but previous conversations with the commissioner, and another thing that he did is he had all the ADs come to Las Vegas shortly, really shortly thereafter your hire. In fact, I don't even know if you were on the clock yet. No, that was in it June. Was, it was in June, and, July 1st started. Yeah, and, yeah. and he just kind of shut the door, and, and he asked questions. Good leaders ask questions. And he asked us, you know, what, what's the most pressing issues? And, you know, what he heard, I think, was we shared a lot of common of our concerns as a 12 schools. You know, we, we, the challenges of how do we get to the Final Four and win it? You know, UCLA cracked in this year and win a basketball championship. How do we get into the Final Four in and, and football and, and win it? And what are all the things? Now, there's a tremendous amount, some would say 80%, or if you want to percent, on what happens on a campus to make those decisions. But then the conference has a piece to this, too. And so we were able to articulate those, those things for him to, to plan when he, when he got off and running. So, you know, it, it, to have a, a commissioner, to have a conference that you were collaboratively together is so important. And when he brought us the concept, and I'm going to give him credit here, I mean, the concept from him on the alliance, I mean, we just sat there mesmerized. I mean, here's a guy who just got started and is coming up with an offensive play in, a, in an unstable situation to really align these 41 schools. And it's already working. I mean, we're already collaborating with our colleagues in those conference and talking about the scheduling model. So it's been set up by leadership then for the ADs to now start looking into it. So those are all the things. To, to, to be a championship-level conference, as we've seen in so many of our other Olympic sports, right, which is stunning what we win, but to get these sports going, it's going to have to be like this, from the center, as we like to say, and then obviously collectively um, here. But as I told them, University of Utah is honored to be in this conference. Um, it was a special moment for us years ago, um, and having him here is, is, is really cool. It's cool for our student-athletes, our coaches, and for myself and the, and the rest of our leadership. And then, Mark, to kind of piggyback off that, you probably answered the, the, uh, the question a little bit. You obviously have some other you know, games down the line as far as in non-conference with like, you know, Baylor, Houston, LSU, and all that. Are you kind of shifting gears to how you're looking at, at the, the non-conference schedule moving forward? And does that have an impact on the BYU rivalry? So to answer the first part of your question, we, we don't have an opening um, until 25. And I'll work with Merton Hanks and, and that football operations team um, under George's leadership and say, I look at that as that's an alliance opening. And, and let's see within those two conferences if there's a like match. 
if that's you know prior to the 811 model or not, we have an opening. We'd like to fill that with an alliance member. Going forward, if we don't have the 811, we won't be able to do much. As I've said before publicly, you never want to be on the end of a phone call when someone says, I'm canceling a game. It's not collegial. It's not the right thing to do. And oh, by the way, there's a contract. So from that perspective, um, BYU, as I've said, it's our, it's our rival. Uh, we have a contract out till really 2030. <laughs> That's our schedule over there. Um, and we intend to, to honor that, knowing we take a two-year break next year. Uh, they're, in, they're in their chartered waters or uncharted waters that we're going to wait and see what develops, and then they may have things. And Tom and I will continue to discuss what makes sense going forward, for, for obviously for me, for the University of Utah from his perspective. But uh, that rivalry is great for college football. Outside of BYU, Utah has, my understanding is, four Power Five home-and-home uh, -home series coming up. One of them is against the ACC, sorry, against the Big Ten, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. and four, uh, three of them are with the SEC. And I think there's an anticipation, don't know if this happens or not, that if the SEC adds Texas and Oklahoma, that they're going to want to go to more conference games and that some of their teams may want to get out of their longer-term um, scheduling. So that might be an opportunity, but we're not going to break a contract. Do we have any more questions? Okay. Thank you very right, much. One more. I was just curious. What about the future of the Pac-12 network? What do you see for it? Yeah. So a uh, couple things about the Pac-12 network. So the first is I think you have to separate out uh, the production at the Pac-12 network from the distribution. So when I look at the production at the Pac-12 Network, I've been in sports television for a long time. The quality of our production, I think, is as good as anybody. Really good camera work, really good editing, good voiceover, play-by-play. -play. Um, and we also do 850 live events. Um, Next Nearest Conference um, Network does a little bit more than 500. And after that, it's a little bit more than 400. So we're lapping our competition in the amount of content that we create, and we create great, great content. Um, where the network lacks is in distribution. That's a real problem for us. And I want to set our fans' expectations. I've read the contracts. If there was a way to fix that in the next three years, I'd fix it. I don't see an immediate fix to the distribution problem in the next three years. So I'm very focused on the fact that we're the only Power Five conference that owns all of our rights and that we'll have a unique opportunity three years from now to think about distributing all of that content in a way that balances uh, several factors for me. One is obviously the revenue that uh, that distribution will generate. Second is competitive advantage. And the third is just um, having uh, our content all over the place so that we uh, lift up the conference's uh, visibility. And balancing those three issues is sometimes difficult. I'll give you an example. Uh, we sometimes play games, as everybody knows, at night on the West Coast. We're the only Power Five conference, at least today, that has teams in the Mountain and Pacific time zone. So we get paid more to play that game and fill that time slot for our distributors. But we trade off uh, you know, visibility of that game on the East Coast, where some of the Heisman voters and AP voters may be asleep at the beginning of the game, depending on their age, or the middle of the game. And that's a trade-off that we make today to make more revenue. We'll be thinking about all of that as we think about how to distribute the content after this three-year window ends. I know you also talked about the early kickoffs. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that something that is going to have to wait to, to come into play after the new, new media rights deal? 
You, you mean like the 9 a.m. body clock kickoffs that we yeah, sometimes yeah, have? Yeah, like, you know, within the conference as far as any conference games that, that kick off. So, uh, so conference games, we can control the timing of that sometimes. Uh, Non-conference games, that's up to each individual school to schedule that. You're talking about Big Fox. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, the, the that, 9 a.m. Or even just, uh, I, I know you guys were talking about, you know, having, having earlier kickoffs, have that kind of be a thing rather than always the 8.30, you know, 7 o'clock kickoffs, yeah. having more of those, you know, earlier in the day. Yeah, I think we're going to look at all of that as part of renegotiating the media rights when those come up in three years. And what I'd like to have is that balance between obviously driving a lot more revenue, because that's the revenue that we share with the schools, which they use to pay for scholarships, and also having the flexibility. And part of the flexibility is so that uh, when I get to make decisions late in the season, uh, I get to benefit our teams in football that are lined up for CFP invitations, and in women's and men's basketball, the teams that are lined up for an NCAA championship, I'd like to be able to create uh, better schedules for them with more visibility. George, you, know, you mentioned that you've now met all of the commissioners or the ADs in the conference. I'm kind of curious from what you've seen and what you know, um, what makes Mark a, kind of like a unique AD? Yeah, uh, so <laughs> a couple things. First of all, deep passion for what we do. Right? I, I took this job because of my passion for what we do for student athletes, and I see that reflected in Mark, and that makes me very happy. The other thing is uh, eight of the 12 ADs in our conference have been in their current positions for less than five years. So I think having someone with the hand on the wheel who's done this for a long time and who's done this in other organizations and other conferences and has that kind of perspective to think about what we did really well other places and bring that into the Pac-12 is unique and helpful. All right, well, there's a lot to unpack there, and PK and I will do that coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley, stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. For the first time in two years, it's rivalry week. Kyle Whittingham and the Utes look to make it 10 in a row against the Cougars as the Utes head to Provo for another showdown with BYU. Your home for the best Holy War coverage is right here on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk rivalry game with Dylan Cauley, the former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How are we doing? We're doing well. So I am curious, your takeaway after the Arizona game where is BYU better than you thought? Where are they worse than you thought? Where are they exactly who you thought they were? I think everything was uh, pretty consistent across the board, right? I think we all thought that there were going to be some, you know, first game jitters and experiences that kind of, you know, were good and bad. And um, to say one area is worse than I thought it would be, I think would kind of be a level of disrespect, especially only one game in. But I think. Um, I, Jaron played how I'd expect in a first game. The receivers played extremely well. I mean, I think 
across the board, the amount of depth there and, you know, guys kind of coming in and out, right? Uh, everyone made an impact where they needed to uh, all across the board. And so, so that was big. Um, I'd say the defense, you know, played extremely well. You can tell there is a lot of speed and, and they're extremely physical, um, which is, which is huge and, and huge going into a game like this week. So, uh, it was, a, it was a good game all around. You remember when uh, Aaron Roderick first got to BYU, I was talking to him one day after practice, and he's just talking about the talent level on the offense. And one of the guys he singled out, I remember this specifically, was Neil Pau. And he said that Neil Pau was as good as any receiver he had had at a Utah. And uh, for whatever reason, we haven't seen it to the level that I thought we would see it. But we certainly saw it Saturday, and I believe you were a teammate of his. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where do you evaluate his level of talent at? Yeah, I mean, Neil, from the very get-go, Neil's played a lot of football, right? Um, He's been around for a minute. And so he is a guy who I think originally, and the reason we haven't seen it is the same reason that you don't see it from a lot of guys early on, is is that level of confidence and having someone that gives you 100% kind of that belief, right? Um, if you don't have a supporting cast like coaches who are going to kind of put their faith in you, right, you, you question it. There's the, the confidence barrier. And so early on, there were a lot of things going on, especially with the transition from coaching and things like that. I think Neil knows, and obviously Fess and Aaron have, have trusted him for a while. Um, there were obviously other coaches on the staff who um, I believe inhibited uh, Neil's ability to truly play at 100% confidence. But now that, you know, the guys in charge, the guys who have taken the reins have 100% faith in Neil, you're going to see a lot of success come from Neil. And he's truly kind of able to play at the level he's capable of. Neil's one of the most athletic people you'll ever be around. Um, the guy's a phenomenal basketball player. He's an unbelievable football player. Right, you saw every facet of the game be played by Neil this weekend, including throwing the ball. Right, yeah, uh, which is something he prides himself on, um, deservedly so. And so, I think uh, you know he's kind of he's kind of kicking the gate wide open, um, and a lot of that has to do with who trusts him and and where he stands in the offense as kind of the, the leader of the receiver room. I was surprised the tight ends weren't more productive. Do you think there's any explanation for that? Sometimes it's just the way a game goes. There's always the theory that a coach is holding something back for game two, especially when it's a rivalry game. Maybe it's something else. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, 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 we were having that same conversation in the house this weekend. And, um, you know, between Isaac and, and Dallin Holker, you have two, and I think I talked about this last week, right? You have two tight ends that are equipped to be extremely good Division One receivers, right, to play just receiver, but they're also extremely physical. And I think, you know, um, to say, you know, maybe not showing all of the cards and maybe just ensuring that, hey, let's get these guys in the trenches. Let's get them physical. I don't think Isaac has had the load in regards to being in the box and and blocking um, experience that, uh, you know, he didn't get much of that last year, right? And so, you know, I think – Maybe just getting everybody warm um, was was probably a priority, and then not having to show as many cards and, and the way that they're going to use them and the ability that they have to use them in the Utah game was was a big part of it. But 
to be honest with you, probably my worst take uh, over the last year since we've been doing this is, you know, knowing, you know, giving you a good enough answer on, on why the tight ends weren't utilized. Um, but those are those are kind of my guesses. So, Dylan, I find what you just said uh, in the prior uh, response fascinating in terms of regard and with regard to Neil Pau, as far as his ability. Plus, you need coaches to believe in you, and uh, that opens up the possibility of guys having talent, but coaches not believing in them for whatever reason. What would be reasons? to believe or not to believe in players? Yeah, I, I think a big part of that is the way in which coaches express their trust in players um, is very different, right? That was something, to be honest with you, that I struggled with in a lot of different areas. There was a lot of questions of, of insecurity in terms of who was confident in me and who wasn't um, for a long time, right? I think if you look at my career at Hawaii, uh, my freshman year, you know, there was – questions of kind of confidence, um, you know, and, and obviously coming off my mission and was I doing what I was expected to be doing? And so there was some inconsistent play, right, especially towards the last half of the season once Coach Chow uh, was let go. And then my sophomore year, um, we brought in Kefensa Hinson, who's I've, who I've talked about multiple times on here, uh, who's now the receivers coach at Oregon State. And building that trust, was huge for me. And he put a lot of confidence into me all the way up until I left it to go to come back to BYU. And you saw it in my play throughout my sophomore and junior year and the way I kind of accelerated and grew. So um, with, you know, those types of kind of positive reinforcements and each player is different in the way that they want to be coached, right? I am a perfectionist. Neil is a guy who you know, is a perfectionist when it comes to playing the receiver position and being the best on the team. And so, you know, Neil's the type of guy that needs that, that uh, affirmation um, in, in the same way that many, many receivers do. And if you're not getting that or the guy in charge, apparently, right, and the guy in charge apparently isn't giving that, uh, it's very hard to feel your worth as a receiver um, because you rely on so much. I mean, it's not just like a quarterback or a running back where it's, hey, I don't need to worry about the center to quarterback exchange. I don't need to worry about just getting the ball handed to me. Right? There's so many other facets of playing receiver where you could be the best guy on the team and only getting a target or two a game, right? Because you rely on so many other facets. And so the least people can do, if you have a phenomenal football player, if you have an extremely good receiver, the ability to really show them on a regular basis, hey, you're playing great. You're doing phenomenal. I know we didn't get the ball to you, right? But I need you to know that we do trust you. Um, and so that's a that's an entire conversation that I think wasn't taking place prior. Um, and now with the guys holding on to the keys, they're doing a, a phenomenal job of that. How much of that comes down to there's someone else that they just trust more, and with everything going on, that's where the attention goes. And a quarterback has a relationship with a guy and trusts a guy. And how much of it is the quarterback oh. as opposed to the coach? Well, oh, one, no, this is, that is 100%. And that's why the key part of that is, you know, these are a lot of the things that take place with a best player, right? Um, you know, or a top three guy in the receiver room. Like those top three guys in the receiver room need to know 
that they are appreciated. Um, and yeah, a lot of that can do with the receiver or the receiver quarterback. But once again, if you're an extremely good receiver, you know that the quarterback is your best friend. And so there shouldn't be any issues with you and the quarterback. Like that is, that is prime relationship 101. There's only two guys you focus on on a daily basis to make sure that they've got all the snacks, treats, <laughs> right, errands run. And that is, that is your quarterback and the equipment manager, right? As long as those two guys are taken care of, you're going to be pretty happy. <laughs> so that relationship between quarterback and receiver obviously is very important as you're referring it to. Romney goes down, the Nakua brothers didn't play. Uh, Kalani comes out and says Monday that he, oh, I actually think he said it Saturday night down in Vegas, I was there, that, uh, that he expects them to play. But in a sense, because we've already seen the Hall to Pau connection. You think that Neil has a leg up now in establishing the trust of Jaron Hall. And that just literally with the timing, which Neil's been there, right? Neil's been on part of the team longer than Jaron has. And so, you know, you're always going to have that anchor. That's what makes transferring so difficult. No matter who you are, no matter what relationships you had. I mean, you talk about, transferring into a situation that you thought that I thought, right. Uh, was going to be just absolutely, you know, mixing butter. Uh, you know, a lot of those things don't happen because there's other, uh, other aspects and, you know, um, and so, you know, to say that, uh, Neil, Neil has the upper hand no matter what in that situation. So, scout the Utes. You probably saw some or all of the Weber State game. What is the biggest problem they present to the Cougars? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah no, yeah, we can. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. That was weird. Uh, sorry. So, you said you asked about the, the Utes? Yeah, scout them. What is the biggest problem they present to the Cougars? Their defense. It will always be the defense. Um, I think athletically, on the outside, BYU meets them um, strongly. I think that there isn't a gap there. Uh, I think that over the top BYU size, when you look at the receivers, um, and hopefully Samson and you know Puka and Neil can all go out there and be a part of it uh, on a more active basis. And I think they measure up very, very strongly, if not better than the the Utah defensive backs. Um, but when we talk about the defensive line and that box with those linebackers, um, you know, I think for 10 years, <laughs> there's been very few teams, especially in the Pac-12, that do it better. And so it is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a tough one, you know, for that offense to be able to get everything together and make sure they're playing at their top, their top level. I mean, this isn't a, this is, you're playing this game at 98%. You cannot be that 2%, you know, you can have, you're going to have mistakes. Things aren't going to be perfect, but this is a game where you need to be as close to perfect as possible. Yeah, I think that was one thing that the coaches were extremely pleased with during Hall is there were zero turnovers. So you think now that uh, he showed that he can take care of the ball. He made good decisions there. And I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't think there was anything close that was a possible interception that went off a hand or whatnot. It looked like uh, either it was to his guy or it was on the turf. Uh, with that in mind, 
how much more aggressive do you think that BYU's offensive philosophy will be, knowing that there's a level of trust that Jaron can take care of the ball? Yeah, I, I think it's you're going to see a lot of it. And that's the big, you know, Jaron isn't uh, scared. Jaron isn't afraid. I don't think A-Rod is scared or afraid. I think what you have is a very, very thought-provoking quarterback, right, who is going to do his best to make the right decision. Um, and when you have that and you know, you know, the first the, – the biggest part of trust when it comes to selecting a quarterback is – are you going to put us in positions to win or are you going to put us in positions to lose with your choices? Um, not your talent, not your ability, right? But when you have choices, what are you going to do with those? And Jaron will always be a guy who puts you in the best position to win with his decisions. Um, he's cool-minded, right? He's extremely athletic. You can trust his legs just like you saw on Saturday. And so I think they can really, they can really open it up um, you know, they can, they can really open up the entire offensive playbook. I mean, the rest of the season, do you really have anything that you are kind of right or dying on, right? Yes, you have a ton of big games, and you have a ton of big opportunities to go in and to win Power 5 Conference games and show that you deserve to be in a Power 5 Conference, but this game is, this game's it, right? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to say, hey, let's go in here at 110% and uh, make sure we can get this one under our, under, you know, under our belt and we'll go in knowing that we can compete with anybody the rest of the season. So does, so, this, does the streak end here? I believe so. I think it's going to be an extremely tough game and it's going to come down. It's going to be, chances are, a last-second last hoorah, but... Um, I firmly believe that that this streak ends here. All right, that's what I want to hear, brother. <laughs> now there's a lot of prayer and a lot of faith going into that, and potentially some fasting. But I firmly believe that. Well, what's interesting now is you're an alumni. You're not that far removed, but you are an alum of BYU and obviously the Collie family. You know, it's kind of sort of right there with Kafusi's in terms of uh, the connection Mm -hmm. to BYU that runs very, very deep going back many, many years. And so as an alum now, from a different perspective, how much does this streak bother you? Oh, it's bothered me since day one. Right. Um, I am not a uh, like I'm I'm a big BYU fan. Right. I I have been for a very long time. Um, You know. There are uh, there are very very few, you know. I'm not like a diehard of anybody or anything, um, but and I try not to let sports get a, a huge portion of my thought process and feelings and emotions. Now, um, this will always be something that bothers me uh, until it's broken, and once it's broken, then I will be able to rest easy. And whatever happens after that, if Utah goes on another five year streak, if they go on another you know eight year streak. It's one thing, but we need to break this one because I think this is where this is a wall that's been standing in front of BYU for a very long time, and I think it's more critical than than people think, uh, especially for the mental confidence of a football team and a program and, and where the future lies. Um, 
this is it's a big one. And I think if BYU wins this game, right, you'll start to see that respect put back on BYU's name when it comes to the Utah BYU rivalry because the uh, the nonsense of you know who's Utah's rival, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and trying to think of all the oh Colorado and USC and you know that's that's all wrong and that's all fake and I think when it comes down to it, everybody knows BYU is, is Utah's biggest rival and vice versa. And the only way to really crush all of that narrative is, is to end the streak this weekend. Dylan, as always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week and uh, listen to the station for the next day or two, and you'll hear yourself over and over because uh, we've been notified you've already made the promo for today, regardless of whatever else happens in the show. <laughs> Done. That's my goal every week. Make the promo. All right, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, Dylan. All right, yep, have a good day. There's former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley. When we come back, what is trending, all the headlines, next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college football. I think the common theme is great pride in being part of the Pac-12. That's what I hear from everybody that I talk to. The other thing is just what a tumultuous summer we've been through, and there are a lot of kind of unsettled issues that are work- we're working through together. But there's a consistent message about collaboration, about getting through these issues together. And I think the small steps that we've made recently, uh, announcing that we're not expanding, doing the alliance with the Big Ten and the ACC, I think have been well-received. George Klyavkov, Pac-12 commissioner, making the seventh of his 12 stops as he moves through all the Pac-12 campuses. And he talked about scheduling, the collaboration, the alliance is going to lead to an eight-conference game schedule for the Pac-12 down the road. Maybe as early as next year if the network sign on it, sign off on it. But if not, it, it seems like it's coming in three to four years here. He said they're going to be playing a Big Ten game and an ACC game every year. They refer to it as the 8-1-1 model. So, you ready to see less of USC and UCLA here, PK? Because eight-game model, I can't believe they're coming here. I oh, believe, I thought you meant every year. against each other. No, no, no. Uh, I think you'll always play your rivals. you probably always have a group of four. So, we'll always play Colorado? Yeah, I don't think that's a rival, and you know that. But, yes, for comedy's sake, sure, yes, we'll always play the rival Colorado. I suspect they'll always play the Arizona schools. I suspect they'll end up being groups of four that you oh. always play. Why and by default, the well, because by default, the because the Californias want to play every year. I mean, they've already made so? that clear. The Oregon and Washington rivalries will be preserved, and then <laughs> so you we, four are left. So we, <laughs> you four are left. So guess yeah, what? Well, You're a group. Yeah, that's why uh, the Big Twelve has been talking to the Arizona schools. So I don't know about that. Man. Yeah, we'll see. see how it plays these, out. These things are well received. Yeah, when they. When they announced not to expand, I popped the cork. <laughs> huh? Well received? Nobody bat an eyelash. That is true. <laughs> uh, they're going to talk to the network to see if they want to amend the deals and start playing a Big Ten game next year. So even as early as next year. But that's up to yeah, the network. So they can play Indiana, no. Minnesota. I mean, I don't know Illinois. Who yeah, I don't know who they're going to get. I mean, that's Rutgers, you, Maryland. There's about there's five. There's of them. There's about five teams you're really excited about, and then there's others you're like, mm, okay, no Wake Forest, please. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to. Well, 
And if you're 12 teams and those are 14, I guess a couple teams get a pass. So, yeah. Sorry, Demon Deacons. Right. <laughs> so what? I don't so know about I, Wake Forest I don't know and if that's any big, great deal. That's such a boon and a benefit to the Pac-12. He thinks he'll get paid more for it. To play, be playing NP, NC State? Well, they're going to get paid more anyway, but it's it's about making up the difference with the SEC and the Big Ten, not and there's, getting doesn't paid seem more. to be any way to completely close that gap. Can you partially close it? You know, we'll see. But completely close it, that doesn't seem possible. That'd be an enormous amount of money. I don't even know that they can partially close it. But I guess the other thing is, is is one more. Uh, yeah, think, man, if the SEC just keeps pulling away yeah. over the horizon, I think 40, it's going to 50, increase, 60, not decrease. 80 million. Pretty soon they'll be like the Dodgers spending 100 million more than the Giants. Yeah, exactly. It will be one more measuring point to say, hey, this league is good if they can win those head-to-head games across the other leagues. Because we're going to sit here and laugh at Purdue and Indiana and Wake Forest and Rutgers. You better be able to beat them. Which, of course, Oregon State wasn't. They lost to Purdue. And uh, Stanford lost to K-State. Stanford did lose to K-State. Decisively. I mean, a different conference, I get it. But yeah. but those intersectional losses make everyone look at you and shrug. Like, well, what do we They're already shrugging. How much more can you shrug? Nonstop. They're not getting in. Pac-12's not getting in. So I, I just don't see where this is any great big deal. This is any great news. I know you went up there, so you think it's a big deal. But I listened to it, and I'm like, uh Okay, what what what's changing here? Speaking of Stanford, their freshman quarterback Tanner McKee will be the starter this week for the Cardinal. They take on 14th ranked USC in the Pac-12 conference opener for both teams. Head coach David Shaw says he will not rotate quarterbacks. He did play two in the opener, and Jack West threw a couple of picks. And McKee was 15 of 18 for a TD with no picks, so he'll be the guy. Way to go. Utah rising in the national polls. 21 in the AP poll. 18 in the coaches poll. Up at the top, Georgia moved to number two after beating Clemson, who fell to six. First time they've been outside the top four since 2017. Oregon's the top team in the Pac-12. 12th in the media poll. 11th in the coaches poll. Nobody in the conference is in the Top 10. Now oh, there's time to get in. That, I mean, this thing doesn't really matter. Former USC and New England Patriots fullback Sam Bam Cunningham died Tuesday at his home in Inglewood, California, according to USC. He was 71 years old. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1992, widely recognized for helping speed up the process of integration and in football programs across the South. Cunningham ran for 135 yards and two touchdowns as USC beat an all-white Alabama team to open the 1970 season. It was pivotal in Bear Bryant's decision to recruit black players. Because they couldn't tackle him? Apparently. We're not getting beat by those guys. Oh, be careful on those guys, buddy. USC. <laughs> I suppose one could argue what else might have been said in an Alabama meeting, but I wasn't there to quote anybody. So, all right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. As good as we were, as we played, you know, with the same group of guys, I'd love to see where we can get this year. All of it's earned. There's nothing given. You know, it's not about a bunch of hype or a bunch of build up and BS. You know, we got to go do it. And I think that's about a bunch of guys that are really mature that see ourselves as professional athletes. And, you know, we want to go out there and we want to put our best out there. 
That's Tom Brady talking about the Bucks and the ability to repeat. Just piling on and adding to the legend, PK. Yeah, it'd be awesome if they could do that, right? LeBron and D-Wade up there with the not two, not three, not four, and Brady's literally there. Isn't he the last one that. to repeat? That starting quarterback? Yes. And he's done it twice, so he'd be doing it a third time. Bradshaw did it twice. I don't think anybody else has. I think he's the only one, right? Who am I missing? I, that's your call, yeah, okay. man. You, you, do you peered job. at me over your glasses, though, so I thought I was forgetting somebody obvious. I wouldn't have known it unless I didn't hear, heard it yesterday on the radio. Saints released veteran running back Latavius Murray. They asked him to take a pay cut on Monday. He refused. Sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter, slated to make $3.1 million this season in salary and bonuses. Of course, they've got Alvin Kamara there, so he'll be the guy, and Murray was the compliment, and now Murray's looking for another gig, which I assume he'll get. Ravens signed Le'Veon Bell to their practice squad. The expectation is he'll be on their active roster as soon as he's fit. And they, of course, need a running back after losing J.K. Dobbins to an ACL tear and third-string back Justice Hill to an Achilles injury. So Bell will team with Gus Edwards and former BYU running back Tyson Williams as the Ravens' primary ball carriers. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swing and a line drive into deep right center. Heading back towards the triangle and gone. A home run for Cruz and it's 5-1 Rays. The 2-1. Correa lines this one toward right center field. Hanniger racing back. It's over his head. Guriel on his way to third. He's around third and coming home. And that is the ball game. The Houston Astros walk off the Seattle Mariners in the bottom of the 10th. 5-4. Here's the 3-1 home to Fletcher. And there's ball four. There goes the perfect game bid. First base runner of the night for the Angels. Who would have thought it had been a walk to Fletch? <laughs> right, right. Angels turned that walk into two runs in the seventh. Blake Snell had it going until he didn't. They got two in the seventh. He got the loss. The Padres got shut out. Angels win four zip. And the Reds beat the Cubs 4-3. That's the end of the Cubbies' seven-game win streak. So the Reds and Padres tied for the last wild card in the National League. Phillies are two games back. They got blown out by the Brewers 10-zip. Dodgers and Giants both do what they do. They keep winning. Albert Pujols returns to St. Louis. He homers. Dodgers beat the Cardinals 7-2. No doubter for the Giants as they blow out the Rockies 12-3. You had uh, Cruz there on the introduction, didn't we? Yep. Oldest player to hit 30 home runs in a season. 41 years old now. I think Ortiz had the record. He did. Rays beat the Red Sox 12-7. Yankees don't take advantage. They lose to the Blue Jays 5-1. So... They are still separated by a half game. They're holding down the two wild cards in the American League. Toronto Blue Jays, though, picking up a game with that win. So there are two games behind the Sox and two and a half behind the Yankees. Bees lose to Sacramento 10-2. Split the series three games apiece. Bees return home to open a series against Oklahoma City. 635 Smith's Ballpark. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. College basketball, didn't we? Oh, you, you, you skipped over it. 
You want to hit it? Okay. Then oh. right there. Hold that thought. <laughs> Hashtag college basketball. Gonzaga coach Mark Few issued a citation for uh, DUI Monday night. Pulled over a little north of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and refused to complete field sobriety tests, blood alcohol content, 0.12 and 0.119. State law there is 0.08. So. How many drinks is that? I was figuring out, I was thinking about this when I saw this. They, they, they should come out like, uh, I don't know if he just had it at a friend's house. I don't know if he was an establishment. We need to get out there and say, okay, if you have more than, there's a good chance you're going to be over the limit. Now, what I don't know what more than is. You know what I mean? I did. I've seen stories done on this. It depends on your body weight. So right. if they put a number right. out there. Right. And so put it out there. Right. The 140-pound person, the 180, the yeah. 240. Right. That's what I'm talking thing. about. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So then everybody should know. Okay, if I'm going to have whatever it is, like put it out there. I Put it on uh, like they have. They used to have the old hell wa- or uh not help wanted. We got help wanted signs all over the place now. But uh, wanted, you go to the post office, the FBI's top ten wanted list or whatever. You know, you would see, you'd go in there and you'd see those posters, right? So put it out there and have these charts. We need to make it more apparent. If you do this, you're likely yeah. to be at this limit, which will equal an arrest. And make it so. Everybody, and I realize this is general, so you can't get 100%. Right, because the other, the other factor in this is time. How long has it been since you were drinking? Because your body's burning it off at some rate that yeah, you, I know. you and I don't understand. But we need to have more education on this. So we have reduction. I don't know that obviously we'll ever have a limit, because I was thinking about this too. Can you imagine? We hear fairly consistently some player, coach, in this case, it's embarrassing for few, obviously, but it seems like it's some regular occurrence. All right, well, for every one, how many are there out there? 100, 200, 300, 500? No idea. Yeah, yeah. no but idea. You know, certainly there's more, and they're not getting caught or pulled over. And then, and we know, gosh, I mean, I have a friend who lost his twin brother in high school on it. And this is years later, and it's still devastating, and it still made a major impact on his life to this day, obviously. So I, I, I want to see some more... Just public education. And so we all know if you, and it's just general, but if you have three beers and you weigh 170 pounds, I don't know, because I, I have no idea what it is, then there's a likelihood, a strong likelihood. And we, like, we put the stuff on the cigarette thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Caution, Surgeon General Warning. Yeah. Right? So if you smoke, everybody knows that you could get cancer. My father-in-law smoked and died of lung cancer. Horrific. At, at 59 years of age, right? But we know. So let's try to do the same thing here. Maybe I'm off base, but I was thinking about that yesterday when, when I saw the news on Mark Few. I get where you're going with this. I suspect, though, that the math is too complicated to be accurate because your your body weight and then different drinks have different amounts of alcohol in okay, them. Okay, but then go way and conservative then. then. Yeah, they could. So then, and then the time is a factor, so... With that many variables, I don't know. But, um, yeah. You're right. It's embarrassing for few, that's for sure. So, 
What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Riley Jensen, college football expert, mental performance coach, joins us at 8 o'clock. And multiple in-state games this week. BYU and Utah, obviously, Saturday night. But also this weekend, it's Weaver State and Dixie State. Jay Hill and Paul Peterson, the coaches for the Wildcats. And what's Dixie State's new nickname? I almost said the old one, but I caught myself. Trailblazers, right? Well, they've been to like three or four, but yeah, they're the Trailblazers. Trailblazers. They'll join us at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. For the first time in two years, it's Rivalry Week. Kyle Whittingham and the Utes look to make it 10 in a row against the Cougars as the Utes head to Provo for another showdown with BYU. Your home for the best Holy War coverage is right here on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Question of the day. If BYU doesn't beat Utah now, when will they? Never. Never, I don't believe in never in sports. I don't care what you believe in. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good day, everybody. We'll just sit here quietly for the next three hours. (laughs) Well, I just want to be up front. You want to be honest, right? (laughs) I don't care what you believe in. (laughs) Boom. You've been trying to share your beliefs with me for like two decades. Oh, no, I really haven't. I really haven't. Oh, you've been doing it just, you know, kind of a roundabout ways. I see what you're trying to do. I know what uh-huh. you're up to. I uh-huh. can sniff it out. I've been around long enough, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know what's going on, you know, just little subtle ways here and there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on to you. The way I look at it, they're not scheduled to play next two years, obviously, right? And I like that Mark Harlan said yesterday, they're our rival. I, I mean, I don't know why Kalani was not, yeah, they're our rival. They're our biggest rival. I mean, why can't we acknowledge the truth? What's wrong with acknowledging the truth? I don't understand it. You know, The truth as you see it. You know, like Holland got all sorts of grief. He acknowledged what BYU stands for. All right, well... You may not like it, but that's what they stand for, and they're not changing. doesn't look like. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But so acknowledge that's their truth. It's not necessarily universal truth, but that's the way they see it. So be it. I'd rather know the way you see it than try to mislead me and downplay something or whatnot. Tell me the way it is, and I'll deal with it. This is their rival. Mark Harlan said it yesterday. I appreciate Mark Harlan saying what we all know. The game is good for college football. It is. That's I, what, Mark that's Harlan, what he when he said that yesterday, I wanted to hug him. <laughs> because he's speaking the truth. The game is good for college football. Of course it is. That's why they broadcast yeah. it. And they talk about it. And people everywhere who follow college football understand it. We've heard lots of people who've covered the game in one form or another. 
reverence it. After they see it once or twice, like, ooh. And I keep hearing, oh, this game does nothing for Utah. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It does tremendous things. You beat your rival. Everybody knows. Throw the records out, blah, blah, blah. When you play the rival, there's more emotion and extra added incentive. I was thinking about it. It's a recruiting tool for the University of Utah. It's not the first. It's not the second. It's not the third. I don't know where it fits. But obviously, the Pac-12 and playing USC and the potential to go to the Rose Bowl is far bigger than playing BYU. I understand that. Mm. But it's also a recruiting tool. It you is. come here, and you're going to have a game when we play down there and we beat them down there, which we always do. Who doesn't like beating someone in front of 65, 64,000 people who are cheering against you, and you got a smattering of fans up there in the corner? And you it's walk off, sweet. And you walk off holding nine fingers up. Yes. Yes. Right. Clearly, I mean, Kyle's going to be needing toes here soon. He's going to be taking it. She's going to be like he's in the islands. He's going to be taking his shoes off. Kyle and flip-flops, wiggling, feeded people. I don't really want to picture that. That's a recruiting advantage. It's a tool you could use. And we had Nick Ford on. And the great thing about it, Nick Ford, uh, what would have been? What's today? Uh, Wednesday? So it would have been Monday. We have him on every Monday at uh, 7.30, right? It's a paid appearance, just like it is with Samson Nakua. We had one guy ask, why don't we have Aggies? I don't know. Talk to our bosses. They set it up, not me. I have no idea why we don't have Aggies. Uh, But this is a rival to Nick Ford, and it's not a conference game. None of these guys have played in this rival as a conference game. But yet Nick Ford comes on and says, I I learned about it immediately, and I'm a Los Angeles area kid, right? My hometown, San Pedro, California. And he said he learned about it immediately, which means that everybody else learns about it immediately. So the point I'm making is it still carries weight even though it has zero conference implications. That's a recruiting tool for Utah to use as they continue to go. Mark Harlan said it. He appreciates it, and I agree with him 100%. Now, back to the question, when are they going to win if not now? They're not scheduled to play in two years. From the BYU perspective, the thing that would be concern me if I don't get them now I believe the next time around in 2024, Utah will be a better program than they are today. They're getting their roster is getting better every year. Now, does that necessarily translate into more wins every year? No. What I mean is because you can have a great roster, but a lot of them can be freshmen like they were last year, so they're not ready to play at their highest level while they're in college. Two years ago, you had a ton of kids who returned, and they were ready to play at their highest level, and they went down to Provo and basically controlled the entire game. But the more good players you have, the more likely they are to be spread across all classes, the less likely you are to have that kind of down year you're talking about. It can still happen with transfers and kids leaving early to the NFL. There are no guarantees. But the more kids you get, the more likely they are to be spread across classes. So I think it's imperative upon BYU to get it done because the task is going to get more difficult, not easier. But is BYU going to get better going into the Big 12 in three years? Will both teams be recruiting better at that point? So will that offset it? Yeah, but the fact but is, BYU, BYU has a gap to won close. nine in a row, right. so clearly they're better. 
It's there's they're, it, they're your rival, but you've dominated the rival for a decade. Daniel's with you. I'm not saying it's now or never, but it sure feels that way. It won't get any easier going forward. Utah's a tough team that seems to have BYU's number. Oh, I mean, you won nine in a row, so uh, no argument here. Obviously, if you've won nine in a row, what, their number, their whatever. Whatever you want to call it, they've got it. They've won nine straight that you don't fluke your way into nine wins in a row over a team. Tommy says when Whittingham retires or BYU starts to land higher-end talent, seems to be the two areas that lead to a Utah W every year. I wouldn't count on him retiring as being an answer. Or there's going to be an inevitable decline. I wouldn't, I don't see why. As I look at Utah and its place in the Pac 12, it's growing, it's increasing, it's not diminishing. So you, and obviously he's going to retire at some point. I think Nick Saban turns 70 next month. I don't expect this man to be coaching when he's turning 70. And it's turn, he, his birthday's in November, so he'll always turn right at the last week or two of the season, regular season anyway. Uh, I, I don't expect that. He's because he said that. That's why I don't expect it. I'm not giving any breaking news. He said it. And I don't know that there's going to be an inevitable decline because their place in this conference is getting better. They're set up. They've got they've got so much going for it that few teams in the conference have. They are now, in terms of quality, maybe not in terms of fan base, but in terms of quality, they are the big dog in this state. I told you, I texted you Friday, right? I'm driving down to Vegas and for the cover of the game, and I got the Phoenix radio station on. Mm-hmm. And so they got the morning guys. Now, they're, they're having a little shuffle there, and one guy was a sub, but... The other guy has been on the station. He's done the morning show for 15 years, and now he's moving to middays, right? Uh, starting started uh, two days ago. But he's still on the station, and they, they dumped the other guy. But nevertheless, they have Herm Edwards on Friday, the day after the Southern Utah game. And the guest host asks him, Coach, who do you play next week? Uh, what? <laughs> How do you not know this? You yet? can look it up. It takes you two seconds. This is not 2002 when we started the show. I need <laughs> I need the Wednesday paper with the agate page that runs all the schedules. Yeah. I used to save it when they would do it, uh, put it out, the USA Today or, or the local paper, mm-hmm. the watchdog would put it out. And, and when I was a kid, if the Republic put out the baseball schedule of the whole thing, I would save it. Well, not that I would ever go to any games, but I would save it just so I knew it. You know, I mean, those days are like a thousand years ago. <laughs> Yuck, and, do you even know what we're talking about? <laughs> I do. Oh, you do. Okay. I was a religious newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's old enough uh, to, to understand because it's not that long ago it's that really we're not. talking uh, about. 20 years. Okay. But uh, yeah, at 10 years good. old, you're a hardcore sports yeah, fan. I, That's what I was doing. I started reading the paper yeah, when I was about eight. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Exactly. So you're the last generation. I think he is. Yeah. So my youngest brother is 20 now. And he would he have would, no clue, he, right? Idea. Right, but it, he would. He would fit in. The, he would. He's in the in the generation still to know. And so then the the other guy, the regular guy, the guy says, "Coach, uh, who do you play next week?" And the other guy, who's the regular guy, he says, "BYU." And Herman Edwards says, "No, it's UNLV." Then the guest host says, "Oh, that's great! You get to go up to the new stadium." He says, "No, it's here." 
They had no friggin' <laughs> clue. They not three times they screwed it up. Man, did you call Ryan? I Our did. former I, boss is their current boss. No, because he doesn't care because it's all Cardinals. <laughs> I've talked to him about it. Now, if they would have made that mistake, who the Cardinals' first opener, who you play in the first game? He'd have jumped down there. If they would have right? had, what's his face, uh, Kingsbury. Coach, uh, who's your, uh, you know, you got this game. Who do you play in the second game? They would have been off the air in five seconds. The point I'm making is it's all pro. Here, it's all Utes. And it's not just there in Phoenix. Most of the Pac-12 is in the shadow of a pro team. Which is why Utah is growing, not diminishing. It's it's a it's a big time advantage. It's a massive advantage. Yeah. So I wouldn't count on Kyle Whittingham's retirement as being the answer to the program diminishing because it's growing, not decreasing. Somebody could come in there and screw it up, but I don't think it will because I think Scally's gonna get it. And they're going to go on, and he already knows. Scally's a very good a talent evaluator. I've talked to him about evaluating but, but Whittingham is good. Times. Whittingham is good, and it still took him two and a half years to really get his feet under him. Right. And but, during but, that time, BYU won. Because they won the second year. So, But they were even. They're not even now. That's a true story. They are not. Jeff says it's going to turn into one of those Cubs Red Sox drop things, isn't it? No, those got outrageous. A hundred years? Yeah, a hundred years. That's it. Doesn't happen in college football, isn't it? What, did, what did the Notre I Dame think, Navy streak get? Because I think that was forty the time, something. Yeah, that was the record, right? And again, major disadvantage well, yeah, for Navy. There's only one Roger Stallback and, on the planet, and Navy still got him and ended the streak, and actually got him a couple times once they got him once. Yeah, but so much has changed for Notre Dame. Nothing is changing for Utah in the negative. It's growing. It's increasing. Dane says it'll change for BYU after they've been in the Big 12 for a few years and their depth and their talent in all positions has caught up. Will it catch up? I have my doubts. There are still going to be obstacles for them. The honor code will still be there. I was going to say. That the Big 12 me. may not be viewed as a Power 5 conference, and that'll go against them. What are these obstacles you speak of? I can't predict all of them. That's but true. But obviously they're not, they're not changing. Uh, their, their stances on these social things continue to whine and scream and kick against you-know-what against them, but they ain't changing. They may modify a little bit to try to reduce public pressure, but I actually think they revel in that. Look at us. This proves that we're different, and this proves that you're changing. We're not changing. You're the one who's changing, and we're going to double down even more because we're not going to change to your changes. That's what that talk was about, wasn't it? Now, I didn't listen to that by any stretch, so I'm not That was what I took from it. I'm not. All I read is excerpts. I did not listen to it. I did not read it, nor I have any intention to. But that's one of the things that I took from it is that, yeah, the world is changing over here, but we're not. And we're going to double down on we're not changing. Dustin says it's going to happen on some random weekend when Utah has a bunch of underclassmen and BYU is senior laden. But not until after Witt has retired, because he'll never lose to them again. Ooh. Would he roll out of here with, like, say, coaches five more years? Oh, then it would be 12, right? Or five more games. That'd be seven years. 
Because they're not going to play I, I don't, for two. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when he's going to retire. He'll figure that out and let everybody know when he does it. Uh, so, okay. So he's got five more games. He, he could easily coach to 67 if that's what he chose. Uh, that'd be North 69 if, if that's what it's he a, wanted. It's what he chooses. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, I, I, I don't know uh, when he's going to step down. But to, to run this thing, the per, to, once you got in the Pac-12, you never lost to them. And you won like 15 in a row. <laughs> Where do they put the statue? <laughs> <laughs> and they, Cincinnati Reds got a cool statue outside. It's actually inside. You have to be inside the grounds to see it. Uh, of Pete Rose. And it's him diving. You know that we've seen him diving into, into third, third base. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not a statue that's upright. It's parallel to the ground, right? And they built it. and they It's, it's cool. It's a cool thing. And they got him diving. What would be? Kyle doing doing push-ups, standing back, flexing the calves. What would it be? <laughs> Him holding up a one and a five. They've won fifteen in a row. Uh, you can't. You, you got to get a little bigger than that. But if, if he rolls out of here with fifteen consecutive wins and he retires, having never lost to them in the conference, oh, that would be incredible. And he's going to set the all-time winning record. He's going to be the winningest football coach in Utah history. I think that's almost a guarantee. That would be incredible if he did that. It's already incredible that they won nine in a row. That ties the longest streak by either school. Both schools have had nine-game winning streaks. Now the Utes have had two. So if the Utes win Saturday, it's yeah, the longest streak in the history don't, don't of the rivalry. Tell me what's going on in the thirties? Yeah. Nobody cares. And well, it's different too. They've been in the same league for so long, and now it's different. And that's part of the magic. It's imperative on BYU to beat their rival. And Kalani, go ahead and call it your rival. Everybody else does. I, I don't know why we run from this. I, I really think it's in the best interest of Utah well, to make he, it more pronounced, if not, he doesn't, re, not less. If he doesn't say they're the rival, then what, BYU doesn't have a rival anymore? Or it's BYU-Boise State? Or it's BYU-Utah well, State? They're it's, secondary rivals. I'm fine with that. But there's only one. Utah yeah. creates much more juice. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised People he didn't say it. way more animated. Why wouldn't he say it? And for BYU, or for Utah, as you continue to pound them, yeah. Announce it even more. It's a recruiting tool, not a disadvantage. It's not the first. You can figure out whatever your priority list is, but it's on that list, and it's something that you can sell to recruits. Certainly you can sell them locally to recruits. Absolutely. And they do. Yeah. And for all those kids who go up to Stanford, and good for them, I would go. I would go in a heartbeat. But at the same time, yeah, you're running in and your cow's your rival and you're going to have 30,000 people and it's going to be the fourth story in the Bay Area that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, I have seen, we, we've talked about the crowds at the Rose Bowl yeah. uh, because the Rose Bowl is the Rose Bowl and it's just magical and UCLA's got a better football history than Cal. But you see the crowds in Memorial Stadium, it's kind of the same deal. It looks like they're playing in front of 20,000 people. The Rose Bowl is only the Rose Bowl when it's the Rose Bowl. Otherwise, it's a stadium. It looks bad empty. Uh, sure. And it's been empty. But it's, there's, I don't think the Bruins have an allure of playing in the Rose Bowl, was what I'm saying. There's no allure there. I've been there, I've been there January 1, 
multiple times, and I've been there in September, October. And it's a different vibe. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a stadium. It's a beautiful stadium and all that stuff and a great setting and all, but it's still the Rose Bowl is the Rose Bowl. And when, not if, but when the Utes get there, they will experience that too. They will realize this is way different than going in October and kicking the crap out of UC Los Angeles. No, when you're and it's the Rose Bowl, the actual Rose Bowl game, it's something. But here you can sell it. You, we got a rival, and it's going to be packed. The electricity in both stadiums is going to be awesome. Fauci's going to have a heart attack Saturday night. I mean, it's going to be packed. Ten coming. I looked up Colorado, Colorado State. Colorado's longest win streak. They're different leagues, so you've got a built-in advantage there. Colorado's longest win streak was 12, and then when I tell you the years, you're going to go, don't tell me about leather helmets. Why did you look that up? Because it's right in front of me, and I get to. Well, but so put something else in front of you. I did, actually. Got Twitter here. It's just a quick click away. Uh, Sing it. D- don't don't away. diminish what you <laughs> hold important. Because then when you feel like I'm attacking you, then you try to downplay it. No, you looked it up because you thought it was a big deal, and it meant something to you. Run with it. Don't back away from it. That's the exact thing that I'm telling you fans. Run to the rival. Don't back away from it. Come on. Jack tweets at us, nothing will happen. BYU fans will continue to whine and scream like they always do and trying to make themselves feel better. What does that mean? He thinks Utah's going to win. They're going to win again. He's an Aggie. He's got Aggie stuff all over his stuff. He's a, he's a hardcore Aggie. He just thinks the Utes have the upper hand on the Cougars, and BYU's going to complain about it and say stuff like, well, he would have won if they played last year. Which, actually, they may have won if they played last year, but we'll never know. Be able to debate that forever. But they had the, the Utes would have been breaking in a quarterback. And well, everybody whines they when had the NFL lose. Guy. How's that any different to any other fan base? Nah, that's part of the fun of losing. It's the silver There's lining. There's no fun in losing. It's the silver lining. You get to whine. <laughs> part of the fun of losing? Hold on, hold on. You get what? to whine. Now, 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 you made a bad statement. If you back away from it quickly, everybody will say, okay, you we're just talking. told me not to back away from it. When you make a bad statement. <sighs> okay, we're going to sort this out during okay. the break. No. DJ and PK. <laughs> having fun losing? No, the zone. You, you control. Go so read he, the he can send us to commercial, but yep. unless you send us to commercial, we're not going to commercial. So, Yach, if you want the last word, you got yeah. it. You owe me one after the <laughs> 6 o'clock hour, and you know it. <laughs> but <laughs> having fun losing? Nah. Wasn't my best choice of words. It's a silver lining. I should have gone with that early. And I get to whine. People do like to whine. There's something to Agreed on it. that. Yeah. There's something and no look no further than me. <laughs> and now we begin and commence the whining. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Riley's here in 15 minutes. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The head coach of BYU, Kalani Sataki. Even if coaches did handle it the same, wouldn't you expect your players to kind of feel the emotion of this game and handle the week differently? Yeah, coaches may say, hey, it's just another game, but the truth is everything else outside of them says it's different, right? So the way the fans handle it, it's way different. So I say let's just embrace it and let's have fun with it, man. If we go into it saying, hey, this is just another game, that's 
sounds great on paper and in print, but the truth is we know those guys. There's a lot of guys on this team that are really familiar with them, that are friends with them. I, me and my little brother, TJ, were playing here, and our oldest brother was playing at the U. So that makes a difference. And so why would you ever try to change that? The fans know each other. They're in the same households. So let's just have fun with the whole experience. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. The discussion this morning, if BYU doesn't beat Utah now, when will it happen? Presumably not the next two years. They're not scheduled. Maybe there'll be another bowl meeting like there was in Las Vegas. The semifinal. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, Nathan tweets at us, this is a turning point in the rivalry. If BYU is associated with P5 money and perception for recruiting purposes, they start drawing top recruits back to BYU. In four or five years, the teams will be back on a more level playing field. Have they ever drawn top recruits? Is that who they are? Drawing top recruits. Well, you can go through their records, and there are times they had a lot of NFL players there. Well, that doesn't mean they drew top recruits. They've pulled in two number one <laughs> quarterbacks in their history, and neither and one of them finished their careers in Provo. Uh, neither one of them, yeah. They weren't any good. One of them never played at all. Not yep. a down. Although, he's going to start that one game. And then? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I had a good uh, recollection laugh with Jeff Cole about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. He <laughs> <laughs> and I go way back, and uh, we were we were laughing about that whole episode. He's going to start Ben Holson. Great, you're not announcing it, announcing it on my show. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> so uh, I don't know that they they can have as many pros that they want, but how many of these guys have been top traffics? I mean, it was. Zach Wilson was a three-star. I mean, top uh, top recruit. Brady Christensen was even a star. Two-star. Two-star. That adds up to they got a five-star. Spread over two. <laughs> First and third-round pick. You know. So, do they ever get that? And I mean that sincerely. Is that who they are? That they roll in top recruits. It hasn't been, but it seems like it can be an upgrade to recruiting. Agreed. If they're in the Big 12. So I would just, it would be disappointing if it wasn't. Yes. So, yeah, I agree on that. But I don't know that it's going to open the floodgates and all of a sudden uh, four and five star guys, if you believe in that. And it, I believe in it to an extent, but I don't believe it is 100% complete. And if you don't have it, you are going to struggle. Well, to Yock's point, how about they just get another elite quarterback? They've had a couple NFL quarterbacks. Coulda, woulda, shoulda won with Taysom Hill. Two-point conversion. That wasn't the best play call ever. Well, you had a rookie play caller. Yep. And then the big year for your next NFL quarterback is a year you're not playing. Yeah. That's, but you think if you keep getting NFL quarterbacks, you're going to break through. I think they got a shot to to get NFL quarterbacks, but I, it, that doesn't really matter that they're going into a Big Twelve if it comes to pass that they get in. It, it, I don't think it'll hurt, but I think it, it, it's the 
the system that you're playing in, and I think they have enough to attract those types of kids. But, you know, they've got to be willing to go to the BYU way. The fact is, Dart didn't want to be a part of the BYU situation. I don't know. They told me that to my face. That doesn't mean he's a bad kid by any stretch. That's not the case at all. But he wants something else. Yeah. Uh, but the religion thing wasn't uh, necessarily what he was looking for. And, and you know, SC's calling, and they're the big dog. So A lot of glamour there, a lot yeah. of glitz. Tons of it. Not the first time that they've rolled into somebody else's backyard and taken the star player. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So... Uh, but I think that they can continue to do that. But I just don't know that I would count on them just rolling in a bunch of big-time, star-studded high school talent to win games. I mean, they can find ways to win games. Because I don't think the Utes are doing that, for that matter. They're getting way, way better at it. But they're still finding ways, especially now... Um, you have to admire what they've done here, uh, plucking transfers left and right, literally. I mean, the quarterbacks, obviously, uh, three of the four running backs, a potential top receiver, uh, one of their better tight ends. It seems like the list goes on. Well, Kyle told us that the yeah. those guys were going to make an impact, and that's what it looks like after one game. Yeah, that's just off the top of my head. I just went right through it. I'm sure I missed guys. Uh, and and you got to coach them up. I think co- coaching and systems and all that stuff, that's where the Utes have a tremendous, tremendous advantage over so many schools in the Pac-12. And I don't want to hear it. They're this gutty little overachieving program. That's a bunch of crap. No, they're not. That's so you're a, going with never. They're never going to do it. I don't uh, think you believe I mean, that. I think it may 150 years. <laughs> You State Iceman piles on. Jack is back with the Blake Anderson era is going to make YBU number three in the state. The Aggies did have a run where they split games with the Cougars. I think they split six games. They did. But BYU seems to have gotten it going a little bit again, reclaiming the upper hand. I don't see, and that's another thing too, ever, never, and all that stuff, but I don't see them falling to number three. I don't think their fan base would allow it. Well, if you're looking for things that the Big 12 ought to, ought to guarantee, and I know people will go look at Kansas, but I don't think that fits or applies. I don't think you think it fits or applies either. I wouldn't even bring it up. I don't think there's anything close to that. BYU fan base is an impressive fan base, and they can have influence. I mean, Chris Hill talked about how he needed to make a change there uh, when he did in the football coaching because the fan base basically was saying it. They were just showing their displeasure by showing their inactivity and their no-shows. They weren't showing, <laughs> and that spoke of volumes. And I think we saw it this past season in basketball. One of the primary reasons. And the fan base was just forget it. You know, if you're going to just continue to do this and lose guys left and right and just say, well, that's the way it is in college basketball. So don't blame me. Click, I'm out. very little accountability there. Yep. And, I mean, it was true. It was going on, and it does go on everywhere. 
but other people are dealing with it going on everywhere and winning. Yeah, and your program wasn't winning, and the fan base was screaming it, and so they made a change. All right, DJ and PK, Riley's coming up next. We'll get his pick on the Utah-BYU game as an Aggie. Well, he was at BYU for spring football. But as an Aggie, we'll get him to weigh in on the Utes and the Cougars, and we'll do that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it is time to talk football with Riley Jensen, college football expert and mental performance coach, and he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Riley, you need to um, you need to multitask during this. If you don't already have your Utah BYU pick, we are going to get it from you before this segment ends. So be prepared. I'm not afraid. I'm All not right. afraid. But first, as a former Aggie quarterback, you had to be pretty excited with the way your Aggies came up big in the fourth quarter at Washington State and won a Pac-12 road game for the first time ever. And I am curious, because now in your current line of work, you're a mental performance coach, and I'm curious where the Aggies got the confidence to pull that off. Because in the middle of the fourth quarter, they needed a touchdown, they needed a stop, and they needed a touchdown. And they didn't have a touchdown in the whole game. So why did they think they were going to get two? And they hadn't gotten a stop in the second half. It was touchdown, touchdown, field goal. And they needed a zero, and they needed the ball back quickly. They got all three things. They win the game. How do they do that? Well, first of all, it was really interesting because I was texting my brothers during the game, and I was like, this is really, really odd to me, but I'm loving the way the offense is playing. And it was like 6-5, to five, or yeah. I, can't, I can't remember if it was 8-5. I mean, it was 10. And I was like, I can't, I can't put a finger on it right now, but there's something going well about this offense for Utah State. And it was – it was really fun to watch. Look, both both Peasley and Bonner, they competed. They had they both had some like really detrimental t- uh, turnovers that could have really cost Utah State that only cost them 3 points. But I thought overall those guys played feisty, they played tough, and the defense all night at, it's it feels like that's the first time that I've seen a defense that can fly around since the first time Gary was was Gary Anderson was the coach at Utah State, the defense was just really fun to watch. And this this Rice kid that transferred in from Arkansas State and was the Fresno State, and he was the Mountain West Player of the Year on defense two or three years ago. I can't remember what it is. He's a fun player to watch, and he has these guys going in the right direction. And you got to give a lot of credit to Coach Blake Anderson for having these guys ready to play. I think. The reason why they were able to score and the reason why they were able to get stops is if you go to the defensive side, they were getting stops in the first half. Washington State had made some adjustments. Utah State finally made the adjustments that they needed to. And then offensively, I thought all game, if they if they could just figure out how to get it to the red zone and, and finish it off in the red zone, um, that, that they were going to be able to score some touchdowns. Now, I'll be honest with you with, Four minutes and thirty seconds left. I was like, "Dang it!" They just they couldn't figure it out, and then and then they did. I mean, it was and that throw by Bonner on the slant. I mean, that was a back that was a back hip pocket slant throw. I mean, that's that's a veteran throw. That's not an easy throw to make in the red zone to know to put put it away from the defender in a place where your receiver can still catch it 
and score. And what, what a big win for Utah State. I mean, if you're a Utah State fan, there's been so many games like the loss at Wisconsin where you miss a 27-yard mm. field goal, right? The, the Auburn game where you give up 10 points in the last three minutes of the game. Otherwise, you have Auburn. And there's just been so many heartbreakers that it was really fun. And I know I know, Pac-12 fans are like, well, it's just Wazoo. Hey, to Utah State right now, any win on the road against a P5 team, that's a big deal. That's a big yeah. deal. Home or away, for that matter. I'm wondering if you see a situation going forward when coaching changes are made and they're made out of not because a good coach left, but they're made because the program fired somebody, and that's the case here. If going forward, athletic directors will look at uh, when they hire their new coach, how much he was beloved by his players because then you bring the coach and you also bring the quarterback and you bring the best defensive player and on and on, and they're immediately eligible. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to consider that, right? Like, there's so many things in college football now that we have to consider. I mean, look, the portal is here to stay. Let's let's be honest. The portal has had a significant impact on a lot of teams, and it's made a lot of teams better. It's, it's made a lot of teams be able to recover quicker from a difficult year. And, look, I don't know what's going to happen with Utah State. Um, I, think, I think that Coach Blake Anderson was hired because he offensively can energize the team and, and, and make it a little bit more fun for fans to want to come to the game. I think that's why he was hired. And I'm telling you, it was a 6-5 six, six to five ball game, and I was like, I don't know why, but the Aggies are moving the ball. They had 222 yards rushing. They were throwing the ball around. There was interesting and cool little wrinkles to their plays. But I think you're right. He came back to the point of, like, if this guy's likable and he can bring some players. Now, who would have thought that bringing a quarterback from Arkansas State and a linebacker from Arkansas State was going to make Utah State better? But they did fill some holes and fill some needs that Utah State needed to fill. And so all of a sudden, it's, it's you know, there's, there's a whole different feel. Now, look, I have to be honest. The Utah State football team and the coaching staff there, you have to give them a lot of credit. They've been very excited about this season, and I think they were seeing some things that even I didn't see. I I was thinking this is like new coach, new energy, like everybody's just excited because it's different, right? But they obviously saw something different than what I saw. I I mistake I mistakenly made a judgment on this team of like, yeah, it's going to take a little while to rebuild this thing. Now, it still remains to be seen. I mean, you beat Washington State, they could be a real mess up there, and we just don't know it, right? But I think I think this was a great step, and this is something that they can really, really build on as a team. I want to underline what you said about Washington State. I don't know it. I'm too far away to prove it. But Rolovich has said weird stuff in the offseason, and he's handled situations oddly. And, yes, it's the vaccine, but it's not just the vaccine. It's other stuff, too. So if there's a weird vibe, um, you know, and some of this loss is on them not being able to seal it, yes. But – Utah State looked completely different, and I don't think you can put it just to the coaching change. And Arizona surprised us. I think we have got to say that if you handle the transfer portal right, even though you're not bringing in Heisman Trophy winners and everybody's got some baggage or they wouldn't be leaving the school they're leaving, you can upgrade stuff. And your weakest spots where teams really attack you and beat you, you can upgrade them and make them better very quickly. And I think that matters. And Blake Anderson said, 
people don't people look at your starters, but fans don't really worry about the depth that much. And over the course of a season, sometimes really quickly, the depth will bite you because you don't have it and you have some quick early injuries and things go really wrong. So I think what Arizona and Utah State, the way they both passed an eyeball test, even though Arizona lost, uh, these transfers matter. No, no question. And I, I, I love that statement from Blake. It, look, typically what happens to a football team, it's it's usually the teams that stay healthy that have really good seasons. I mean, it's it, it just is. Football is a game where people get hurt. And if you can build some sort of depth with the portal and you can bring in key players that you're missing, I mean, God, you just don't slide as far. And so I think that's I think that's a key I think it's a key indicator. And the coaches that I've talked to around, and most of the coaches and the contacts that I have are in this state, they're like, the portal is a big deal. And it, and they almost begrudgingly say it because they feel bad for like some of the freshmen and the recruiting classes that will take place because the portal has become so important. I mean, it's free agency for college football, right? And you're able to do some things that you normally couldn't do. And these coaches are paying very close attention to the portal uh, going forward because I think they see the value in this and how how a second string big time player coming out of high school who's not happy it doesn't mean that he can't play and it doesn't mean that he can't have a good attitude in another school with another fresh start and yeah, I mean I think it's showing Arizona I'll tell you where Arizona was impressive to me there was some in the second half against BYU there was some team speed stuff that just really stood out to me for Arizona where it was like, wow, if you give the ball to number five right now, he he's really hard to tackle, even even when BYU was doing a great job of team tackling. And so I feel like they were much improved. And I think I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for, for folks like us, right, that are always analyzing and looking at football because we're going to have to really take into consideration, okay, so who is this guy from the portal and what kind of an impact can, re, can he really have? Because it's not going to be the same – same situation where we go, okay, so here's the freshman, here's the returning starter, you know, all this kind of stuff. We're going to we're gonna have to dig deep. And maybe I'm just talking to myself. I know you guys do your homework a lot better than I do. But this, this portal thing is, is, has changed the face of college football forever, in my opinion. I thought Jaron Hall was solid, if not spectacular. I can't go that far, but certainly no turnovers and move the ball. He'll get better. What do you think of him and his first performance as a starter this season? I thought it was very. I thought that was a very solid first start. I didn't. I didn't feel like there was any throws or any any difficult things, with with the exception of the touchdown that he threw to Neil Pau down down the middle. It was, it was a little bit late, but I don't know that he wasn't trying to set it up to go there. So that that's my only question mark is like was that was that like I was reading left and I thought. And I thought, oh, I, I, I got to get this. And then late, his reaction was to throw late down the middle. I mean, that's that's a common phrase in football. You get a little bit nervous. But I'm also not being critical because it may have been that he was looking it off, looking it off, and then throwing it there. But he just threw it a little bit late. So I'd like to see that throw just speed up a little bit and recognize that and get there just a little bit quicker. But overall, man, I mean, his footwork, his ability to, like, turn on the jets down the sideline, I, I didn't feel like the moment was too big for him. That's that's the thing I'm always looking for in a first start. Was was the moment too big for you? Was it was this too intimidating? Was it too difficult to do? And I thought uh, I I would have graded him 
um, just because they know how good he can be, that's that's probably a good solid B performance. But that's not that's not me ripping on him. That's me knowing that he has he has more in his canister. And I think as he feels more and more confident, and as the coaching staff feels more and more confident in him, there's just going to be bigger and bigger games for him. Can Utah stop Algier and put the whole offense on Hall? Because that would seem to be a big ask if that's what happens. Well, I kind of think so. Look, I mean, Weber State is a pretty good football team. I'm not comparing them to BYU with two really good running backs. And Weber State couldn't even get a hand on Devin Lloyd defensively. And I thought, I thought against the University of Utah, Devin Lloyd – on that field was the best player on the field. He he literally was in the face of running backs every single play. And the offensive linemen, when they were trying to do their combination blocks where they where they block a defensive lineman and slide up to Devin Lloyd, they couldn't do it because he was reacting and getting there way too quick. I feel like BYU, uh, they have to be able to run the ball and I think that starts with blocking number zero. If you, if you don't block Devin Lloyd, it's going to be a really, really tough ask for BYU to just put put the ball in Jaron Hall's hands in his second start and say, okay, start slinging around and get us a win. Now, that doesn't mean that BYU is not really, really capable. That doesn't mean that they don't have great receivers and all those sorts of things. But I, I think if Utah's game plan has always been take away the run and force a team to be one-dimensional. And if they can do that to BYU, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for them. How about the other way around as far as what uh, Utah's offense is going to be able to do? Because you look at what Arizona did, and they threw the ball fairly well against the Cougars, but they didn't. You know, they only got it in the end zone once, I think, there, right? And with uh, some field goals and safety. Uh, but they still had success a fair amount of success throwing it, maybe a little bit more so than running it. What do you think Utah's offensive philosophy is going to be against BYU's defense? So I think I think that Charlie Brewer, and I was, I was there in person at the game, and I was in a spot where I could really kind of read the play with the quarterback. It's the best. This is the most polished quarterback that Utah has had since Brian Johnson or Alex Smith. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as them, but as far as like taking his eyes and executing with his eyes, throwing the ball accurately downfield, doing some different things. I mean, the biggest thing that they need to work on offensively as far as the passing games this week is they all these receivers and tight ends need to get on the jugs machine because I saw for the first time a University of Utah quarterback that wasn't afraid to throw the ball to a guy that's only one yard open and put it right on his helmet. And there was a couple of drops. There was a drop in the end zone by one of the tight ends that was a touchdown. And I really felt like during the game I saw the University of Utah leave about 13 points on the board, and I thought it was mostly because of drops, not because of lack of execution. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that's lack of execution, but the play was open. The thing that they were trying to execute was open, and I'm, I'm very impressed with Charlie Brewer. I would be very surprised um, to see him not play pretty well this week, especially with the manipulation of his eyes and being able to move defensive backs around based on what he's trying to do. And and look, Weber and Utah and BYU all play pretty similar defenses, so the defense that that Brewer saw. Last Thursday night is a good is a good start or, or a good way to kind of get warmed up for what the BYU defense will look like. 
So when it's all said and done, Riley, what's it going to be? You mean life? No, the game Saturday night. Oh. (laughs) Riley, Judgment Day. Spell it out for it. No. Riley, BYU, Utah, midnight, 1 a.m. if there's a really bad storm. What's what's everyone's mood going to be? Well, I... I feel like it's really, it's just really hard. It's really hard to pick against the University of Utah, um, just be, just because, man. There's there's some there's some mentality stuff going on right now. There's there's a whole bunch of like mental difficulties that are going on in this game. And what you have to worry about if you're BYU is is there a a here we go again type of attitude if some momentum starts to go one way or the other, but. I'm I'm picking the University of Utah to win this game in a super close one, and maybe not for any other reason than just because until they lose one, like I can't pick against Utah. It just feels like they have so much the number of BYU right now that it's hard it's hard to see that breaking through. Especially when I see defensively somebody like Devin Lloyd, and when I see offensively somebody like Charlie Brewer who who can really, really throw the ball. Now, he doesn't have the biggest arm that I've seen at the University of Utah, but, man, the accuracy and the ability to move defenses around and manipulate them into what he wants to do. He's, he's, a, pretty, he's, he's a formidable quarterback, and if they can continue to protect him, I, I don't see the Utes losing this week. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The question of the day. If BYU doesn't win now, and Riley just said he doesn't think they will, if BYU doesn't win now, when will they? They're obviously not scheduled to play the next couple of years. Just got a provocative answer that is grounded at least somewhat in fact. Nice. And we will share that with you next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The head coach of BYU, Kalani Sataki. Even if coaches did handle it the same, wouldn't you expect your players to kind of feel the emotion of this game and handle the week differently? Yeah, coaches may say, hey, it's just another game, but the truth is everything else outside of them says it's different, right? So the way the fans handle it, it's way different. So I say let's just embrace it and let's have fun with it, man. If we go into it saying, hey, this is just another game, that sounds great on paper and in print, but the truth is, we know those guys. There's a lot of guys on this team that are really familiar with them, that are friends with them. I, me and my little brother, TJ, were playing here, and our oldest brother was playing at the U. So that makes a difference. And so why would you ever try to change that? The fans know each other. They're in the same households. So let's just have fun with the whole experience. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Thursday, September 9th from 2 to 7 at Mountain Mike's Pizza, 3785 West, 104th South in South Jordan for their grand reopening. Beat Mike Smith, Utah Jazz broadcaster and shooting contest, and win a 20-inch pizza. That's Mountain Mike's Pizza on Thursday, September 9th. I've been sharpening up my J. Yeah? I'm going to take Smitty down. (laughs) Okay, you do that. I think they got a ringer out there, and they're not going to be giving away much pizza. But good luck to everyone who wants to take a shot at him. <laughs> Years ago, there's a guy uh, who I think he went to Long Beach State. His name was like Craig Dykema, something like that. And one of the columnists for the Arizona paper took him out to the state fair. He just sat on the bench for the Suns, hardly ever got in. 
and he's just winning stuffed animals like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't believe how good NBA players are. And I was in Sacramento with some promotional deal. I don't know what it was. I had to do some silly story of the Wayman Tisdale. And uh, it's a different level. It's a totally different level. And he's talking to whatever PR person, and they're laughing about whatever. And he's just waiting to get going. And he's shooting like 10 and 12 footers in the lane. And he's only half paying attention. Not only did he not miss, he never hit the rim. Not even once. It's a totally different deal. But good luck. If you take him down, you will have something to brag about for a very long time because it'll be hard to do. And you'll be the one because I can't imagine there's going to be three or four people doing it. All right, PK, question of the morning. If BYU doesn't beat Utah now, when will it happen? They're not scheduled to play the next two years, and you believe the Utah program is still on the upswing, so even if BYU does get a boost from the Big 12, which they should, we can debate how big a boost, but there ought to be some kind of boost there, but still, you think Utah's still getting a boost in the Pac-12. And... What you have on your side, even though everyone loves to argue with you, is the NFL draft. <laughs> and they are getting way more players drafted. I think Utah is going to be a premier program in the Pac-12 for the next 10 years. The recruiting advantage that they are building is these other programs' attendance drops off. And you always talked about this in the Mountain West. People want to go, players want to go play where it matters, where there's passion, where there's emotion. And you walk into a, the stadium in Albuquerque or Las Vegas San Diego, it's it's just not the same. You walk into BYU and Utah, and they're packed, and people are going nuts. Now you're in the Pac-12, and there's no emotion at Stanford. There's no emotion at Cal. There's no maybe UCLA will turn it around here, maybe Chip Kelly, but they've had five straight losing seasons, and people aren't showing up. Colorado's empty. I think the U- Utah pro- football program is a gold mine. Arrow up, baby. So... Tom tweets at us, and Tom's, Tom's a big-time listener and tweets at us a bunch. He says, TDS once went 61 years only winning one game. So, dot, dot, dot. Now, that was in a, 61 years only won one game? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They sucked. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I think what they'd really, I think any real analysis would say, well, it wasn't as important to them. They were a basketball school. They were good in basketball. Utah, at that point, was good in football. And they had Ike Armstrong, and they got the upper hand, and they kept it. There were like three or four tie games in there, so the win streak never got above nine. But, yeah, Utah completely dominated until the uh, 60s. I think the second win came in the late 50s. Is Utah going to emphasize football at a level in a way BYU isn't, in a league BYU isn't in? Is the Big 12 going to be that big a deal going forward? Is there going to be a big gap? Even, even though it looks like the ACC and the, the Pac-12 are going to be leagues three and four and be kind of distant, even if one team rises up like Clemson has now or USC did in the last decade, it's an SEC Big Ten world we're moving into. I think that it, the Big 12, the the newly configured Big 12, when they get it going and it's up and running and all that stuff, I think it's going to be a representative league. The thing about it is that I wouldn't stack leagues and start rating leagues from top to bottom because I think that's 100% misleading. You have... There's too le- big a variation within a league. Well, you have leagues within the league. Absolutely. And Don't. so the Big 12... 
you can't do this. You can't take out Ohio State of the Big Ten. It's like saying, man, you know, without those six runs in the fourth inning, he he pitched really well. But the, it doesn't work that you way. You can't just say Big yeah. Ten and try to refer to Ohio State and Rutgers at the same time. Right. And you can't the same thing in the SEC with Alabama and Vanderbilt. There's so, a wide variation. So I think it's stupid to rate conferences because you're really what you're doing, the top the conferences you're putting at the top, you're just rating the top teams. So let's see how this Big 12 is top to bottom because they're going to have a Kansas. I don't know if it's always going to be Kansas because Kansas a few years back with that, was it Mangino guy? They went to an Orange they, Bowl. They were they decent. Had a, they had a Mark Mangino. Yeah, yeah. Maybe 11. Uh, and yeah. so and they dropped off pretty quick and all that stuff. But so I, they're, they're always going to have that. I don't know if it's going to be that particular team, uh, but... I think it can be a representative league because I think the AAC is representative. And I certainly think the better teams in the Mountain West are pretty good football teams. I just don't look at at a label and just, I hate that, labeling, and that's the way it is forever and ever. And so it's a big deal that uh, they ever get out of that. And I, I think that the some of these programs are really good because they're putting pros in. These conferences are putting pros in every single year. So this newly configured Big 12, I think, has the chance to be decent. And as it affects BYU, I think it should help their program. Uh, that'll make their program better going forward. And the fans are going to love it because they want to have conference rivalries. It's, it's something to say all conference. Remember the first few years we used to joke so-and-so was the independent player of the week. They don't even do that anymore, do they? At least I don't get the emails. And, you know, the all in the, Phil Steele's all-independent team. What a waste of time, Phil. There's four or five teams. <laughs> Go you do could, something else. Why don't you just put every Notre Dame player on it? Why are we putting... Well, see, there you're going back to Liberty, labels again. Liberty, you're going UMass, la- and UConn. You're going to labels. No, because I don't I'm- want to label anybody. Let them determine their own fate. Liberty can be a good football program. Coastal Carolina, for all you Utah fans who ragged on Coastal Carolina, BYU losing to Coastal Carolina, they're ranked. Yes, they are. Yeah. So uh, and UConn's already and UConn's already lost their coach. Wasn't such a joke <laughs> that they lost to Coastal Carolina. And, you know, but if boy, my gosh, if they would have beat them, it would have no big deal. But they lost to them. See, you lost to that crappy team. But if you would have beat them, well, geez, so what? They're not any good. <laughs> and it doesn't Memo really to BYU. You cannot win. <laughs> yeah, in that situation here. So this conference that if they get when they get it together and see which teams are in and all that stuff, I think it can be decent and it'll be fun for the Cougar fans to have conference games and all that stuff get going again. And over time, you can build up rivals because I I agree with what Kyle said when he gave that interview to that uh, what was it R J what's his last name. Young? R.J. Young. Yeah, where he said, you know, they do have other rivals. You only have one rival, but you have other rivals in the conference, particularly in the South, SC and, and the Devils and the Cats and all that stuff and Bruins. Sure, those those are rivals because you're playing them every year, and you've got something to build off of it. And it's amazing to see, but what, we're in our 11th year of the Utes being in the Pac-12? Yes. Uh, don't really count last year as much, but still, man, it goes by pretty quick. And so they got something going. De- Ute fans hate the Devils. Already, blah blah blah. That's good. That's fun. And so you'll go that way, and it'll build it up a little bit. But I just think that Utah's got it humming, 
and it's going to be hard to catch them because their program really is in a great, great spot. It's so great that we keep hearing, surprisingly, how great it is. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense, and it makes zero sense to us, and we reject the notion, and I'm pretty sure you do too, that they are not this upstart program that surprises people. No, they don't surprise anybody. They play great football is what they do. They're not a surprise. If they go next month, what are we, uh, 31 days, if they go into the Coliseum and win that game, that is not a surprise. It may be a Vegas upset. But it'll be mild. But it won't. I will not be surprised because their program is at a high, high level, and I just don't see it slowing down anytime soon. If you're picked second and you beat the first place team, it's an upset, but it's not huge. Two beating one isn't massive. No, and I, I can't imagine, we're, we're still a month away, I can't imagine the line being more than six anyway. I was going to say a touchdown. Which is a touchdown. I always give the extra points. So I was going to say seven. That's not. It's a touchdown is six. A PAT is one. It's six. Tell so, me more about the rules, Graham. I can't. Well, you keep, well, you obviously don't know the rules. So you have to be yeah, informed. Yeah, but we can assume they make such a high percentage of extra points. I'm going to go ahead and assume seven. Sorry. I assume nothing in sports. You're That's, the man. I assume nothing in life because nothing has ever been given to me. I had to work for everything I've gotten. So why would I assume something is going to be given to me? Because it's not. I'm going to have to earn it. You know what I'm going to do right now? You know what I'm do right now? Here, this. Ready? There. There's a nickel. Someone's giving you something in life. Okay? Now stop. Yeah, and that's that's the most I've ever received. Yeah. <laughs> I've never gotten more than a nickel in my life. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just let him reframe the argument. Right. Give him a couple seconds. <laughs> he can spin like a top, and I like to watch it. So there. So I don't see Utah as... Going down there and being a big upset. I really, really believe, as I look, and I've been involved in this conference for a long time, I believe they have so many advantages. And the great thing about it, if you have an advantage and you don't take advantage of it, it's not an advantage to be circular. And it's like a no, draft pick in the pros. No, it's like earning it's earning it's like earning a home court in the playoffs or a home field in the NFL playoffs. On and on. It's awesome. It's awesome to have it. And then if the visiting team comes in and beats you, well, what good did that do you? I mean, I know you win more at home, but you still gotta win when you get to the postseason. And the genius of Utah's program is playing up the advantages that they have. It's a smaller city. It's big enough, but it's a smaller city. And with smaller hometown atmosphere, family, and all that stuff. And they play that up so much. It's really brilliant that they do. You're not going to get lost in the shuffle here as you would be if you went to Los Angeles or you went to the Arizona's (laughs) place. They all have the same number of players. I know, but it's massive, you know. know. Here, we're small town, even though we're big cities. The airport's right down the street. It's international, and you can get anywhere quickly. And, man, we're family. We got got the press conference. I got my wife, my grandkids. Look at my grandkids. They're there. The players can see them. It's it's genius how they do it. And I don't know if they stumbled into it or they figured it out or what have you, but it works, and it resonates, and it resonates with most. Mothers and fathers. 
When you're recruiting a 16 and 17 year old, it's a good story to tell. Yes. Although we have also been up there and we've talked to enough of the guys when they're in their 20s and they're repeating it. They buy it. So on Absolutely some they buy level, it. whatever story it is, it's also not just a fairy tale. It's, it's being not. lived on some level. It is. Because juniors and seniors are we're family up here. And Kyle, even with the rivalry, you know, the older players explain it to the guys who come in from out of state. Here's why it's important. So as much as he downplays it and tries not to say the letters U, Y, and B in any order. I think he said them on Monday, didn't he? He did. He, he did. Game week, I think there's a little he more. He broke out of his character for just yeah, a it's, But it's also game week. I know. You know? It's still different. In this game, what did they... But he typically... He, does he, min- he minimizes it. He yeah. doesn't completely wipe it out, but he minimizes it. It's a beautiful setup for them, and they're taking advantages of all the stuff they got going. So I think it's going to be hard for BYU to catch them. Yeah, Does it mean they can't beat them in an individual game? The, and that's really what we're talking about, is snapping the streak. After you snap the streak, then you can worry about trying to catch them. I think they got a decent chance to snap the streak Saturday. I think it would have had a great chance last year because of the circumstances. Circumstances dictated that. And I understand Steve Youngs was joking on ESPN that uh, they were afraid to play BYU last year. Uh, see if you can find that audio. I'll Something. see if I can find it. I heard about it. I saw the quote. Yeah. It said that they were afraid of Zach Wilson. And Yeah. And they should have been afraid of Zach Wilson. He was awesome. Best quarterback to play at BYU since Ty Detmer. Bum, bum, bum. Now, you just raced right through him, and you knew, oh, he got me there, he got me there, he got me there, and he's got me there. Topping Taysom Hill. Oh, Yes. Topping Max Hall. I think you go to John Beck. John Beck. John Beck's senior year. That was a good year. It was an awesome senior yeah. year. He had an awesome senior year. At, Steve at Sarkeesian. Better. <laughs> Better. Better. Ryan Hancock. Did he have a... Did he play a few games and got hurt uh, or something? About, uh, I'd have to look it up, eight he or played, ten. Eight or ten, somewhere in there. Oh, you played that many? Yeah, so they yeah. lost three quarterbacks in like no. the first... First they lost season. quarterback in the second game, another in the third game. Third I game, think. and then he played. And then he the rest played the and got oh, he hurt. Did. And he got hurt in the, no, he didn't. Got hurt in the Utah game. Utah game towards, towards ACL. ACL late in the Utah. Yeah, game. had a long run down the near sideline. And oh, he did. Were you here then? Yeah. So it was the year before. That's why I don't yeah, remember it. Ryan right. also happens. And to then be the fourth string quarterback yeah. played the bowl game, and yeah. it was um, wasn't it Tom Young? It was. Yeah, yeah. Steve's younger brother. Yeah. But they lost. They lost to Kansas of all teams, twenty three twenty. Ryan is a loyal listener of ours. So oh, Ryan, for sure. I know he's up? in the community. That's why I gave him a shout out right there. Yeah. I mean, I knew he. he I knew he played. I remember as a big league pitcher, but I didn't know he played that long. Of uh, I didn't. I didn't realize the other quarterbacks. Who were they? Got hurt uh, Walsh, that earlier in the Walsh season. Walsh and Clements. John Walsh, Steve Clements, who is actually one of my former head coaches in high school for about Walsh, all three Walsh got hurt in the second game against UCLA at home, and Clements got hurt out in the very next game in Hawaii, and was probably about as dejected as I've ever seen a football player. He had I this. Understand why? He had a mat, <laughs> He had must have had twenty pounds of ice on his shoulder, and he was sitting on the training table, and all the pads are off, and the cameras got him, and you could just see just he he was just so down. He was so. He ended up coaching here. I think he he coached at Lehigh. Yeah, he, was, he, coach. was, he was my head coach for about three weeks before he took another job at Mountain View. At Mountain View, he was at Lehigh. I thought he was at Lehigh. Though. Yeah, he yeah. went to Lehigh for a while. Yeah. Is he still coaching? 
No, I think he's in private business now. Is he in the community? No, he moved to Texas, if I oh. recall. He was okay. from Texas, too. Yeah. And it's a Texas recruit. All right, DJ and PK coming up 9 o'clock. The other in-state game, Weber State, Dixie State, both coaches Jay Hill and Paul Peterson join us in the 9 o'clock segment. Stay with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The holy war is here. Kalani Sataki and the Cougars look to snap Utah's winning streak at LaBelle Edwards Stadium on Saturday. Your home for the best holy war coverage is right here on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's Wednesday, and you know that means it's a Win Tickets Wednesday. Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum band Corn are bringing their U.S. summer tour to Yasana Amphitheater Thursday, September 9th, that is tomorrow, with special guests stained. Tickets are still available at LiveNation.com. we got a pair of tickets for Caller 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. That's 855-340-9663. Got more people weighing in on the question. If BYU doesn't beat Utah now, when will it happen? Zion Bikes. Dot Store says, maybe never. I'm thinking the Aggies have actually beat Utah more recently than Cougars. Am I right? Yes, you yeah, are. I guess you are. You are. By a year or two. Aggies got him up in uh, up in overtime in Logan. Wasn't that uh, Jordan Wynn's last game? Yes, Jordan Wynn got hurt in that game, had to leave. Right, he had a lot of potential as a freshman, but then battled injuries and ultimately retired from football. So that's a couple of years more recently than than BYU, and and then they didn't they didn't play much after that. I think there were a couple more games in Salt Lake, and that was the end of it. Right. All right, DJ and PK. When we come back, Jay Hill, Weber State football coach, Paul Peterson, Dixie State football coach. The other in-state game. We'll talk with them next. Stay with us. Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from two to seven. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Boom. Time now to talk about the other in-state game this week. Weber State and Dixie State playing Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Paul Peterson, Dixie State coach, joins us in a moment. Right now, it's Weber State coach Jay Hill, and he is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation? Find out more at smartrain.net. Jay, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're doing well. So you open up with the Utes, and I'm curious, playing a Pac-12 school, how much you learn about your team and how much you have questions because their talent level is so unlike a lot of the other schools you're going to play, and how much this makes the second game easier for your guys. You face the biggest, strongest guys you're going to face, and does it all seem easier now against the next team? Well, I mean, it, it did give us a gauge on what we're all about, our toughness and physicality. I thought we hung in there for the most 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 of the game. Um, we know that we're not going to face anybody bigger and stronger than those guys. Um, so, you know, that it, it gives us a gauge. I don't know if we know exactly who we are just yet. This this game and the next one, I think, will be we'll know here in the next two weeks exactly what we're all about. 
Well, I think, Jay, you know, without that rain delay, I think that took away all your momentum. And if the weather had stayed good, I think you'd win that game. <laughs> I appreciate it. I love that. <laughs> now, there was so much to overcome that game, right? I mean, they're very physical on the offensive defensive line. The rain delay was a pain in the butt. And just, I, I was happy with a lot of the things that we did that game. And we missed a lot of opportunities that were disappointing to me. Um, you know, getting stuffed on the goal line where we could have had an opportunity to get back within five right at the end of the first half. Just There were some things that we didn't do what we needed to do to have even a little bit better showing in that game. Do you like to irritate Morgan Scally whenever possible? I know I do. Absolutely. He's my, fav- he's my favorite guy to do that to. Well, you did because uh, at the media availability – he was asked about the game. He says, well, there were several things. And when he got to 17-play drive, he spit the words out. He was not, he was not pleased with the 17-play drive. So <laughs> you got, He said it ended. It was a good response, but it should have never gotten to that point. Yeah, he was irritated. Well, that, that's why he's so good. He's so competitive, and he's an elite coordinator, and you give him 17 plays, and usually he's found a way out of the drive before then. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me that he got irritated over that. Speaking of not being surprised, Shahid, man, that was so electric, that kickoff return. But this kid's a big talent. Oh, he's a big-time guy. He's an NFL guy. He's the all-time leader in kick returns for touchdowns in college football. And so it's not like he hasn't done this before. Yes, but the reaction shot from you on the sideline, jumping and pumping your fist, it got replayed all night. It was on Sports Center. It was on college football shows the next day. Did you hear from people? Uh, you hear from friends around the conference or around the country? Because you were going nuts. Well, I mean, in that particular game, you guys know my ties to Utah and uh, having played there and coached there for so long. That was an important. That's an important game to us, our players, myself, and to go in there and play well was important. And so to jump out seven three early in the game and to do it on that play was a big deal and you know we we coach this game because we're passionate guys and we love what we do and so when something good happens it's easy to <laughs> get caught on film you know going, getting excited and being like that how about uh good news bad news thing for the big sky going up to washington and getting a win but it also makes your job tougher. Because <laughs> in Montana, man, they looked really good, obviously, beating a ranked Pac-12 team on the road. Well, we, you know, Montana's a great program, and the reality is the Big Sky plays great football. We had three wins last week against FBS opponents. And so for them to go in there and, you know, pull off an upset, does that surprise me? Absolutely not. Um does it happen every day? No, but that doesn't surprise me. They're well coached, they're tough, and um, they're going to continue to win a lot of games this year. So who else uh, do you view as the top of the league after seeing one week? Obviously, Eastern Washington got one of those wins you speak of. They went to UNLV and won 35-33. Uh, well, Montana's going to be good. We know that, mm-hmm. beating Washington. Montana State's going to be good. They had a lead. I think with two minutes left in the game against Wyoming. And then uh, Eastern Washington goes down to UNLV and wins. And uh, UC Davis went out to Tulsa and won, and Tulsa was supposed to be good this year. 
so I mean, all those ga- all those teams that I just mentioned and us will be right there. And then there's going to be one more team up there, whether it's NAU or somebody else. Somebody else will make a run at this thing besides the five that we've mentioned. All right, it's time to bring in the head coach at Dixie State, Paul Peterson. And uh, Jay, how much have you been able to hang out with Paul? How well do you know him? Um, so we've known each other for a long time, just through the coaching scene and all that stuff. I would not say we've hung out a lot, but I got a ton of respect for Paul and what he's done both at Snow College and Dixie State. He's a good coach. Well, Paul, welcome to the show. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for the kind words, Jay. I've uh, yep. I've asked Jay to hang out a bunch of times. He just turned me down, so it's still waiting. <laughs> oh, is Jay Hill's big time? Is that what it is, Coach? <laughs> exactly. He knows if we go. I just know if I go fishing with him, I'm going to catch all the fish, and then he's going to be mad at me. And I just, I just <laughs> turned cool, it down man. before that happened. Yeah, right. Let's go. Paul, all day. Love it. Paul yep. same question to you. We just asked Jay, what do you learn from that first, uh, that first game? You had Sacramento State in, and, uh, and it ended up being a pretty low-scoring game. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good to get, uh, you know, you're sick of banging on each other. And, and that first game is always important to see where you're at, see the progression that, that you've made as a team. And and um, really, if, when you play a good team like Sac State, it kind of exposes some of the things that you need to work on and fix. And so um, I think it was good for our guys. We, we uh, you know, we competed, I thought, uh, pretty well. We, we missed, missed some opportunities. And with a good team like that, you can't, you can't miss. But, um, you know, proud of our team for the effort that they had. And, they're they're willing to work hard and, and and you know we know that it doesn't guarantee results but uh, um, we're trying to build this thing the right way and the guys are putting in great effort. Well, the uh, St. George uh, community's got to be excited about Weber State coming in, right? Yeah, yeah. We we uh, we hate Weber State. We hate the color purple. Um, <laughs> so we're just looking we're looking forward to this uh, in-state rivalry. You know, I, it's fun. It, it really is. I think um, us making this jump. Um, and and with what Weaver's done, uh, with their history, what Jay's done with with multiple conference championships, like we're we're trying to get to that spot, right? So to be able to play uh, teams like 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 Weaver State in state and have that rivalry, I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. I'm sure they'll travel down here. Everybody likes coming to St. George, and so um, it just be a great atmosphere uh, here in St. George and a great game. When you go from Division Two to the championship subdivision. How many of your players have the talent, the size, the athletic ability to make that jump? And how much, what percentage of the roster has to be upgraded? Because it's a different level and you need a different level player. You know, I, I wish I had some of my players to answer that question for you because they'd be pissed off, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good question. I, our, our guys, um, you know, once we made that jump, they're not, they weren't D2 anymore. And that was kind of our mindset, right? So they have this little chip on their shoulder to prove that they belong at this level. And, um, I think we've I think we've done a really good job of uh, getting some recruits, some some developmental guys that we that we feel like um, have, have a great opportunity to be successful at this level. And you know we got we got some work to do in the weight room, and and um, got some work to do this season playing some really good teams. And so, I you know I like where we're at, and I like I like the attitude of our of our players, and we're going to continue to have that chip on our shoulder for sure. I guess Jay, since you've been coaching in this state and been recruiting for a long time now at two different schools, um, how difficult is going to be now? Because we've got two schools down south that are playing football, and when we've got the three up here, I, I don't know that there's enough bodies to stock rosters for everybody from the state. So, is it going to increase the level of difficulty in recruiting? Well, what's made recruiting in the state of Utah so hard is 
not necessarily just the schools in the state, but we are getting such heavy pressures from the school out of state. You know, uh, all the Pac-12 schools are in here recruiting now, and pretty much the majority of the Mountain West schools are in here recruiting. So it's it's not like you're just recruiting against each other. You're recruiting against all the top dogs that are coming in here. And some of the guys that used to slide up under the radar and we could get easily or more easily, it's getting harder and harder because of the recruiting pressure. Paul, how much can you hit Arizona? PK makes that drive because he's got family, and you know St. George is four hours closer, and Arizona doesn't have nearly as many teams and has a lot more people. Can you hit on that uh, over the next yeah. few years? Yeah, and uh, you know I want to piggyback with Jay. I think you know with with Utah, I think there's so many. The word is out, right? All these teams coming in. It just goes to, to show how good these high school coaches are in preparing these kids to come play. But, yeah, I know Arizona is a quick quick flight for, our, for us. It's one of the hubs right here out of our airport. I think it's a quick 45, 50-minute flight and pretty cheap, and so it makes sense for us to be able to get down there. And um, You know, one of the other things, playing in the WAC um, with these Texas schools, we're going to have, you know, the ability to go down and, and um, have, have kids see us uh, from Texas too. So that's, that's something that uh, um, we'll, we'll plan on too, getting, getting in Texas and, and both Arizona. Until fairly recently, if guys wanted to transfer and be eligible from the uh, the high level, the, the what are they called, the F uh, Bulls subdivision, right. uh, they could drop down and be eligible. I'm wondering how the transfer portal and the basically the the free transfer is going to affect both of your programs at your levels. Yeah, well, well, for us here at Dixie State, you know, we we we. Um, we grabbed a couple guys here in the offseason. You know, we got a, we got uh, um, a couple grad transfers and, and, and a couple younger kids um, off the tram- transfer portal. And I think it's kind of a little – for me, it was just similar to JC guys. You know, we, we got, wanted to add some depth, and we wanted some guys to come in here and, and compete too. So um, I think you got to kind of kind of play that game. Transfer portal kind of scary a little bit for me. You want to you want to be able to have maybe a relationship with the kid before um, – um, you know, if, if he's a good player and he's the right player, uh, program guy, then, then those coaches and coaching staffs going to try and hang on to him. Um, with you, there's there's always um, certain situations you got to you got to do a little digging on each one of these kids that are on that portal for sure. Address that, Jay. Uh, well, and I think you make a good point, PK, is that where these players used to be able to come to us and be immediately eligible, but not go to another four-year program, an FBS program, and be eligible. We used to get a lot of those transfers, and now we're not going to get as many because they're going to transfer what they say laterally, right? They'll go from a Mountain West school to another Mountain West school. And so some of the guys that we were getting, so they could be immediately eligible, uh, we don't have that advantage anymore. So I think that that will cut down a little bit on maybe some of the four-year transfers that we get. Uh, but we were never at Weber State a big transfer team anyway. We want to recruit high school athletes and develop them for four years. So one thing I heard, and it was actually I think Kyle Whittingham who brought it up at a, one of his media availabilities uh, during spring football, was that guys had to be careful about going into the portal because the numbers game, he says there's, there's more guys going into the portal than there are landing spots. So I wondered if that gave either one of you a chance to get some guys you wouldn't normally get. Well, like I say, usually, and this is not always, but usually guys are going in the portal for a reason. Either they can't play where they're at, which is a big red flag, or they had issues mm-hmm. there, which is a big red, big red flag. 
And so you just got to be careful in the transfer portal. And a lot of a lot of these kids want to be recruited and be re-recruited, and so they're going in the portal and they're finding, just like Kyle said, that there's really not that many spots, and there's not that many schools out there looking like these kids originally thought there would be. Yeah. Well, Jay, what's going to be your game plan against uh, Dixie? Why don't you just tell us right now? Uh, yeah. Score more, yeah, points, detail, score more points than they score. Yeah, go into detail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... Uh, you know they've got they are very aggressive on both sides of the ball, and so we're going to have to do something to match obviously their aggressiveness. Uh, I like what both their coordinators do, uh, Justin and and Kelly Bills do a great job. Uh, Coach Peterson's done a great job. So we're going to have to go in there and play clean. We can't go there slop around and turn the ball all over like like everybody knows to win a football game. And we'll go in there and try to instill our physicality and toughness and the things that have won us four straight conference championships, we got to go in there and continue to be us. Paul, halfback option pass, what are you thinking? Fumble Ruski? Nope, that was outlawed. Can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got five or six trick plays we're going to open up with. Uh, no, we, we um, really really the same thing, man. We got, we got to take care of the ball. You know, this last game, we got some stuff we got to clean up and stay in front of the chains, give ourselves some uh, good down distances where we can stay on the field a little bit longer. That was definitely a an issue with the last game and not scoring enough points. Um, you know, that's that's a lot of taking care of us um, and making sure we're getting better at those details and our executions. Got to be at a higher level. Um, you know, as far as far as Weber State again, they've 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 earned the right to to be a ranked team and 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 win those conference championships. And so, you know, we we've got to we got to play mistake free and and uh, match their physicality up front. They do a really good job on both sides of the ball up front with their guys in the trenches. And so, it's a big challenge for us for sure. You set with Willstead at quarterback? Yeah, yep. Oh, there was a pause there, PK. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> there was a pause. I've heard quarterback controversy. <laughs> All right, it's uh it's Weaver State and Dixie State. It's Saturday night, eight o'clock in St. George. Uh, I, I'm curious, Paul. Did you guys ever think about uh, moving this game so it didn't conflict with the Utah BYU game? PK was down there for a BYU practice a few years ago, and it, he could not believe how many people turned out. There's a lot of Cougars down there. They might love some Dixie but State football. You gotta have it at night though, because it's too hot. <laughs> yeah. It's just too hot. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just that, that, that's always a fun, fun, uh, fun rivalry game for for the state and that red and blue and. Um, you know, I, I, I have a good feeling it's going to be a pretty packed crowd. We had uh, our biggest crowd last week, and and um, we had a ton of ticket sales already before this 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 matchup. So I anticipate our stadium having having a fun atmosphere, and we got a little flyover, and you know, uh, uh, we want to we want to um, show our support for our troops and and what they've done to help keep us safe on, the, on this 9/11, and and so it'll just be a fun fun football game. And like I said, it's rivalry. For us, I don't know, we were probably doesn't think it's rivalry yet, but for us, it's, it's trying to get to that level and, and playing a really fun in-state game. He's got the gutty underdog card going. See, you hear that right there, Jay? They, they probably <laughs> don't think it's a rivalry. They don't respect us. So, <laughs> All right, guys, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us, and uh, we'll be looking forward to the game Saturday night. Thank you. Awesome. Great being with you guys. Jay Hill, Weber yeah, State. Jay Hill, Weber State football coach. Paul Peterson, Dixie State football coach. Saturday night, eight o'clock in St. George. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The Zone. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. We'll get you up to speed. Stay with us.
The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Former Ute receiver and a rivalry week staple. He is Kenneth Scott with us. Why do you think sometimes these games don't go according to maybe how you'd predict? That's a great question. I really don't know because dating back to my last year there as the Vegas folks, I thought we had that game in the bag 35 to 7. I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way they're coming back from this. I even put my helmet to the side knowing I wasn't going to get back in. <laughs> but I guess it's the football gods that, you know, wanted us to have that memorable type game per usual so that families can talk about it on years on end. So, I think it's just the football gods wanting us to have a good case. Magic happens. It's something to talk about. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The John Watson Chevrolet High School Player of the Week Award is presented weekly to the top prep football players in Northern Utah. This week's winner is Fremont quarterback Cannon Cofort. Cofort completed 20 of 28 passes for 328 yards and two touchdowns as the Silver Wolves routed Clearfield 41 to 7. Stop by John Watson Chevrolet at 3535 Wall Avenue in Ogden, or check them out online at johnwatsonchevrolet.com. Time to get you up to speed on everything you've missed over the course of today's show. And the new national rankings are out, and PK, you just don't care. I wouldn't go that far. It's too early. Well, it's a combination. It's definitely too early. And that also the playoff thing is the big thing. And one's that the end of next month, beginning of November. I think they did they shorten it by one week? They did last year, but this year it's yeah. going back to the normal. It'll be no, the first week in November. I think it's like November 2nd or some such this year. But that yeah. means fun. It's all for fun. I'm, I'm glad they do it, it's for fun. Five, five Pac-12 teams are ranked, which well, is uh, second best. It's but good news, bad news. Nobody's in the top ten. That's bad news. That's the bad news. That's now, there's five between 11 news. and 25, so assuming somebody beats everybody else, they'll shoot right up. But if they all beat each other up, then they'll well, just Well, Washington out, UC Los Angeles in. Yep. The other ones, they didn't play anybody, so they should be able to maintain and move up a couple of spots. And that's how it happened. Yeah. The Utes climbed a little bit. Rose in both national polls are now 21 in the AP poll and 18 in the coaches poll. I can see a time where the Utes are in the top 10 this year. Eight ranked teams lost, so that gave, gave teams a chance to move up. All they got to do is not lose and beat SC, and they're top 10. Golden. They're favored this week. They'll be favored next week. They'll be favored against Washington State. So they'll be favored in every Kyle's game. Kyle's fifty-seven and zero. If you give them more than a week to prepare, you're just making stuff up. <laughs> and they have a bye the week before. That that doesn't work anymore though, because the bowl games were part of that. It was a season opener. No, which no, was the bowl, bowl games don't count. The bowl games bowl and games. the bye week. I think that if the the loser of the Pac-12 title game should just say we're done. Because they're going to lose the bowl game. <laughs> Every team has done it. Every single team. It's such a letdown to be this close. You wouldn't know what it's like, DJ, to be this close to the granddaddy. I really wouldn't. I do. Good for you. <laughs> I'm happy for you and your little team. No, you can't be happy because if you this close, that means you lost. I am happy because I don't know. Because my team's never no, you been said that you've close. Been, you, no, you said you're happy for me. I am I'm, happy for you. But you can't, you know, I wasn't happy that the Devils got this close to the granddaddy and lost. You see what I'm saying? That's not well, a happy I was, moment. I was, I was happy for you. Well, it works both ways because I was happy for you the two times you went. <laughs> That's happy. And I was also happy to see you suffer. 
So I'm just happy. I know. You root for, I get it. You root for the Devils to lose. You hide it, but it's obvious. <laughs> it's clear. At least I can respect Jake Scott. He'll come out and tell you. Yeah. He's a bit, what he won't do is he won't tell you he's a big Ute fan, and you are, Jake, so quit hiding it. And, but then he'll tell you that he roots against your team. You do, but you act like you don't. In that moment, I was trying to decide whether to make that goose honking noise or not, and how how good would it be? I don't know what a goose honking honk. noise is. Honk. Yeah, you do know. <laughs> you've heard. You've been out playing golf, and the Which, geese have flown overhead making noise. You've heard it. Which, for you, is really futile to root against the devils. They'll take care of it for themselves. Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee will be the starter this week for the Cardinal. Then they take on 14th-ranked USC, Pac-12 opener for both both uh, squads. I get confused when guys go on missions and come back. He You're did. much better at the recruiting game. What about him? He was the one who was – was he the one who uh, you heard was told, hey, we're here, you know, if you change your mind? Because Stanford quarterback once upon a time changed his mind and came back. And that worked out well with Taysom, Taysom Hill. He never enrolled. Right. Uh, but McGee was uh, he McGee was t- McGee was told we got a spot for you right. But see, they had changed coaches. It was so a different situation. It, it, it right. reminds me of when Ben Olson was getting off his mission. They had uh, Croton was gone, and Mendenhall was a defensive guy, and they had no track record on offense. So Ben took off and, mm-hmm. and went to. Went to UC Los Angeles, obviously. I think he would have been good, but he got injured. He, he never really... I think he lives here locally. Uh, he had some injury issues. I think he would have been very good, but he had injury issues. Never got him uh, to get consistent playing time. And so here is the same thing. Uh, they were in, not in a good state when he was coming out, and he chose Stanford. And But they BYU let him know. They appreciated it. They think the family. But now he's going to start... And let's see what he can do. He was another one of these, uh, I don't know if he was literally the number one guy, but certainly he was all that. I mean, I had heard of him. He was Elite 11. Well, the whole thought of him bouncing back, which is what I was leading up to, doesn't look like it's going to happen because now he's got the starting job. I don't think so. I hope for his sake not. I don't root against anybody. I would, unlike you, I would, <laughs> like to, I would like to see him do well. I told David Shaw this summer, I said what I was really hoping for is Fajoko stayed so we could have the first uh, outside of Utah return missionary throwing a touchdown to a return missionary. Yeah. Has that happened outside the state of Utah? I would think not. I yeah. don't know, but I would think not. Uh, McKee was 15 of 18 for 118 yards, a touchdown and no picks versus uh, K-State. He was splitting time with Jack West. But one of them was clearly more productive than the other. West threw two picks. So, it's Tanner McKee's job. Well, man, gosh, uh, the Stanford Cardinal, you know, they 4-8 and eight two years ago. Last year, I think they won their last four. But nobody knows what to think of last year uh, when you're not playing nine, 10, 11 games, and obviously the Pac-12 didn't do that. And so they got the Trojans this week, an 0-2 start, and David Shaw is Mr. Stanford. But, you know, I was talk- I heard Neuheisel, he does a show on the satellite radio that I listen to a lot on the way home, or you can get it on demand anyway. But anyway, he was talking about Shaw being under the gun. 4-8, 4-2, 1 that's where it sits right now. And you now. got the Trojans this week. Right. So this is 
the coach's hot seat bowl because anytime SC loses, Clay Helton's automatically it's automatically to the hot seat. Seventeen in a row, and then the seventeen and one, boom, you're on a hot seat. But to your point, if they <laughs> if if they lose this game and and they're the underdogs, and if they lose this game, then Stanford is eight and twelve in their last twenty, and you can be Mister Whatever School, but that's going to raise eyebrows. No question. Yeah, if you're if you're eight and twenty, you better have come in and taken over a team that had gone you know two and twenty. If you're if you're at Kansas, maybe it feels like you're rebuilding. But if you're not at a program that's struggling like that, then eyebrows are going to be raised. So I don't think New Heisel's that far out on the limb. I mean, saying that the the it's the hot seat isn't the same as saying you know he's going to be gone by Monday. But SC's no, a I don't seven, see that. SC's a seventeen point favorite. So. Expected that to game? roll. That game's in Los Angeles. It's the Coliseum. Okay. Well, what time's it on? Sadly, it's at eight thirty Mountain Time. Is how. It's oh, it to. is. Yep. Yep. It's a night, it's a night game. What? What? Uh, Same time as UNLV, Arizona State, it, Utah, BYU, what and channel? Weber State, Dick State. It says Big Fox at eight thirty, which. Oh, it's Big Fox. Well, prime time, prime time on the West Coast. You've got the uh, LA and San Francisco markets, so maybe they figure, let's do it. Yeah, I'm certainly interested in that game for on many levels. Yes. Oh, there he is, my guy. God, he, <laughs> he looks good, doesn't he? Look hey, at him. good news for you. Look at him, man. So what happened is we got a TV here in the studio, and currently oh, it's, on, it's on ESPN2, and they've got some NFL show on. Look at that. And there just... Zach. Boom, touchdown. Zach Wilson, to Zach Wilson preseason highlights are, uh, are on the air. Hey, good news for you. I have seen the, uh, I've seen the list for games for the first two weeks. The Jets season opener will be on Channel 2 at 11 a.m. It's not good. I got the NFL ticket. Oh, good. You'll need it week two because it doesn't look like that game's going to be on. Oh, yeah. oh, he starts 4-0. They can, they can swap out. So Swap this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that game two is etched in stone, but game one is. They're running promos for that on the air. So. I'm going to watch him every snap. All right, he's my favorite NFL player. <laughs> Look at you! I love the kid. He's like a, he's the central casting. True story. They show him on the big screen in, in Vegas, and they got nine big screens there. They got a huge one, and they got two pretty big ones. And the they, crowd roars. They put your family room to shame. With the big screens that they have. <laughs> well, big TV. Yeah, well, yeah. Well. Small phone. Get big out TV. the ruler, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, that's misleading right there. That is not. It was too. It's right out of your own mouth. Small phone, big TV. That was the comparison. Well, who has a big phone? My gosh, no crap. You, that was you have a small discussion. Every TV is, every phone is smaller than a television. And you were trying to get me to watch <laughs> stuff on my phone. I watch stuff on my phone all the time. I don't. I like to watch it on the TV. All right, right. Should, we, should, we, should we go back to the longer? No, it's just, we got, we got but, eight minutes. We got a break. Let's see. No. See, there you go, right? That's good enough. Fine, I'm talking over it. I don't care. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> All right. Oh, geez. You're trying to the big TV. There you go. Okay, fine. 
You That's still didn't long. need to tell us did. that I you did. have a big I TV. Don't I don't phone. even have a big TV. A big TV. You were so TV. freaking presumptuous there. Yeah, Braggadocio. I've got a big TV. Look Presump at me. This. That's all you didn't add. Yeah, all I right, bet fine. you do, big fella. I know the kind of dough you're bringing down on both of these gigs. Holy freak. <laughs> Former USC and New England Patriots fullback Sam Bam Cunningham died Tuesday at his home in Inglewood, according to USC. He was 71 years old. He's inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1992, widely recognized for helping speed up the process of integration and in football programs across the South. Cunningham ran for 135 yards and two touchdowns as USC beat an all-white Alabama team to open the 1970 season. That performance... Coupled with those of his black teammates was pivotal in Alabama coach Bear Bryant's decision to recruit black players. Older brother of Randall, right? That is a true story. There are four Cunninghams that are all from Santa Barbara. Richie? Legend, legend, nope. Legendary Santa Barbara family. Uh, Sam was the oldest and Randall was the youngest and there were two in between. And Randall is, uh, Randall's in Vegas now living, so where he went to, he went to UNLV. He, he did? There. He's, a, he's a pastor. He's got his own church down there. Oh, he does? So, yeah. Yeah, I read a profile on him in a Santa Barbara paper a couple years ago. He was a really good quarterback. Yeah, he was. I enjoyed watching him play. Uh, very smooth in, in his, uh, this, his quarterback. This took me down the Santa Barbara rabbit hole yesterday, the way you go down Jersey and uh, Arizona rabbit holes. And, uh, and I clicked on a story because they obviously wrote a big piece in uh, Santa Barbara about it. And uh, referenced a couple other people and everything's tied together. And then you can click on that. And yeah, so... Good stuff. And the Ryder Cup captain Steve Stricker filled out his 12-man Ryder Cup team. He added Tony Finau, Shoffley Spieth, Harris English, Daniel Berger, and Scotty Scheffler. So Tony Finau is going to be playing in the Ryder Cup, which is over there at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. And that begins on the 24th of this month. All right, so we got that coming up. Then uh, what are we, like this uh, two weeks from Friday? And that's a big deal in the golf world. Absolutely. Six captains picks now, huh? Nice. So who was the best player left out? Oh, Patrick Reed gets left out? He's sick, though. Okay. He's had some uh, uh, illness going on. He's a double lung pneumonia. Yeah. He's Oof. Been, yeah. Shoffley Spieth, that's some pretty big names right there. Sure. Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Patrick Cantley were already on board. Yeah, you qualify, and then they have the captain's picks. Right. Six automatic and six picks. And I don't know that, that they will f uh, pair Kepka and DeChambeau. That would be kind of fun. <clears throat> they should totally do that. <laughs> See if those guys have some weird, some weird chemistry going. I'm better. Watch this shot. I'm better. Watch this shot. Yeah. That. Or or they just go out there and stare at each other, hate each other, and just both be missing five foot putts all day long and losing. Yeah, I think I think they I think Kepka played it up, but I also think there's a lot of truth to it. Is it just Kepka, or is he the only one who will say it out loud? Does Deschambeau great on well saying Brooks twenty forty or sixty course now? I know that's pretty weak. Can't say Brooksy. Yeah. You can yell, get in the hole. Yeah. I mean, I, I, although at the same time, if I'm, 
I'm at a sporting event. Why, why am I yelling Brooksy any? If I'm at golf, what, what am I doing that for? But they sell liquor at a lot of these tournaments, believe you me. So, have a couple cups of liquid courage and then try to impress somebody you're with or think you're going to crack up a thousand people around you and get a big laugh. And, and everybody went to that golf tournament to hear you try to be funny. No. I know. <laughs> Not really. Have you ever tried to do stand-up, stand-up yeah. comedy? It's hard. Have you tried it? No. Well, how do you know it's hard? Because I know people who've tried it, and I'm not trying it. I'd be bad at it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. It's hard to just get up there. Everyone's looking at you like, okay, make me laugh. Go. Give me a stage and a mic anytime. Yeah, I've seen you do it. I can throw a couple of knock-knock jokes There was down a your uh, way. Christmas party I'll never forget. Hey, uh, PK, you, uh, you want to go up there and do your thing? <laughs> you didn't even have a chance. I mean, Leno goes out and you know, works on the routine at the small clubs before he went and did the Tonight Show back in the day, right? The Hermosa Beach Comedy Club. See? Yeah. You didn't even have a chance. You had, like, you had a five-minute call. I heard it. Ah, well. Low expectations. <laughs> and I delivered. I wish I wish I would have had more time. I would have thought of the, the story that I love to tell involving golf. One time we were going down to St. George, my wife and I, and uh, somebody set us up to play at the Bloomington Country Club. And we got down there. It was after the show. We got down there at about 2, so we were a little hungry. But we wanted to go out to eat later, so we didn't want to spoil the appetite. And so we were going to split a sandwich. And if you've ever been at uh, Bloomington, it's an older clientele. If you go at 8 o'clock in the morning, the place is packed. Hmm. You go around 1 o'clock, there's nobody there because they're home taking naps. And uh, so we were going to tee off at 2, and they have a little, uh, like a snack shack type of thing. And I said, go order a sandwich, right? So she went there, and there was nobody. Literally no one's there, and there's one lady in there. And uh, she told the lady, hey, could you cut this because we're going to share it? And uh, so the lady says, oh, why, are you sharing? She says, no, I'm Jackie. <laughs> hey <-o. laughs> she, <laughs> she said, are you sharing? <laughs> well, there's no one there. Nobody. There's no one around. <laughs> and the lady has just been sitting there waiting for someone to come to the booth. <laughs> <laughs> are you sharing? No, I'm Jackie. <laughs> 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 Way to go, Mrs. K. She's not going to need a name to call you because there's nobody around. <laughs> yeah, now there's 40 people there. You need a right, name. Right, exactly. Then you need a name. <laughs> yes. But when it's, hello, 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 because it's nap time. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, the biggest name left off the Ryder Cup, Phil Lefty. Phil Mickelson will not be on the Ryder Cup for the first time since 1995. But he's an assistant captain. All right. So he still gets to go. He gets to go, but I mean, his days are over. Yeah, I don't know how he won. What he won the PGA this year? That was that was a that that that's a that's the right exclamation there. point on the career. You would think, right? You wouldn't think there's another act after that. That's the curtain call. I wouldn't think so. I think it's the time encore. for him to be an ambassador of the game, in which he can do really, really well. So he made his debut in '95, and let's see, it was supposed to be last year, right? What was supposed the to be Ryder year? Cup? Oh, I got you. You took me Ryder Cup 20. So, Len, he played in 18. So, Legendary career. Uh, you got to be extremely happy. I mean, I know he blew the U.S. that time, but that makes the other wins even sweeter. All right, DJ and PK, there you go. That's a lot of the stuff we have been talking about. Um, the Padres had a perfect game going in the seventh inning and then lost the game four to nothing. 
And the Reds tied him for the wild card, and you think uh, the Padres aren't getting it done. Tough schedule down the stretch. They're flailing. That's not happening. Well, they have the toughest schedule. I've seen they that do. on multiple uh, occasions, and I think their pitching has they've been battered with injuries. And the two teams chasing them are 29th and 30th in strength of schedule. They actually have that the two is, easiest. That is a fact. But, you know, we've got uh, next year they'll get back the Clevenger guy that they picked up from Cleveland, right? That he would be the, good. T- the Tom John starter. surgery. And Maybe someone could figure out what's going on with you, Darvish. I want to blame it on an injury they're not talking about because his ERA is over seven over the last two months. He is well, getting plus he can't speak battered. English, so you don't really know. He's getting battered. Battered? Battered. An ERA over Ooh. seven for two months? Yeah, but if you're scoring eight runs a game. Well, they're not. They got shut out. They couldn't even take advantage of a guy who's pitching a perfect game for six and two-thirds innings. So, Well, they didn't take disadvantage of it. Dodgers and Giants both win. They're just going to sprint right they're to jokes. the finish, aren't they? They are sprinting to the finish. I know. Wow. Max Scherzer's looking like Bob Gibson. Oh, man. He is just... Jeez. There's actually a stat out there. I'd have to look it up, but uh, I saw it on a on a string of Padre tweets. The Padres record since they didn't get Scherzer is like the clubhouse fell apart. When they didn't get him, they're like, uh-oh. He went there and not here. We're screwed. And they started playing like it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. we got a bowl game being canceled. What? Yeah, the Red Box Bowl. Not happening, huh? That's San Francisco? Yeah, one in San Francisco. Uh, for good or just this just year? This year, what? Brett McMurphy saying it's being canceled for this year. So it believes only 41 bowl games this year. Well, wow. That's a blow, but at least 83 teams get to play in bowl games. Nice math. All right, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback, everything you think about this show. Question of the day, if BYU doesn't beat Utah now, when will it happen? And Jed Beck tweets at us during the millennium. When's that? Sometime over the next thousand years. What do you guys (laughs) believe in that? Uh, we believe that a millennium is a thousand years, and that in the next thousand years, what? BYU will beat Utah once. That's Jed's point. Okay, what about Jesus? <laughs> he wasn't really referencing that. I know, but I was. <laughs> really bored with the show right now. <laughs> no man knows the time nor the place, PK. But many men have predicted, falsely. Yes. Good point. <laughs> Which ought to be a little hint, knock that off. RSL man says, never. BYU is less than 10 years away from losing its football team entirely, a la Ricks and BYU-Hawaii. First off, Hawaii never had a football team. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. LDS Business College, man, when they dropped their team. (laughs) (laughs) That was a sign. I don't see it. Seems to be going the other way, doesn't it? Elevating it, making it a bigger deal, joining in the Big 12, assuming that happens. Yeah, that it was awesome to hear the Pac 12 commissioner dance around that. About what? About He got asked about the Big 12. He said, Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I read the same things you do. <laughs> I know, but you literally sat in a room and talked with the guy. I think I'm he sure does. Got, oh, I think he does too. He's just being. I don't think he cares. I think he was just, you know, it's their league. We'll let them make the announcement. I'm not here to 
talk about what they're doing. You know, that's their thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they made the decision correctly, I believe, not to ask any of those teams to do Totally join. agree. Totally agree. I don't think there were any teams. Once they couldn't get Oklahoma and Texas, there were no teams that were going to add the kind of value they need. They need to take a shot at the alliance. It may not add the value they need either, but it's their best bet. And set up some, some big-time games on a regular basis with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin. Yeah, we're already doing it this week. You got Washington and Michigan and Oregon and Ohio yep. State. You got two of them so right there. So that's the thing about it is they're already doing it to an extent. To an extent. Now do more of it. Devils played Michigan State. I know, but you didn't get what you were looking for out of doing it. So yeah, you're going to do more them. of it? Yes. And somehow you're going to get something out of it? You better win. You got to win. He did get asked about that. What did you think of the performance the first <laughs> He you? tapped yes. He said, he goes, well, I went to the LSU-UCLA game, so I guess I chose wisely there. I got a small giggle. <laughs> he's got a big-time sense of humor. He does. Having interviewed he does. He's got him, a laugh of that. Yeah. He, he's quick that way, which I think is great because Larry Scott came off as a little, not yeah. standoffish, but a little high and mighty-ish. Uh-huh. And he just sat there and got asked a question and gave an answer. And a few times he even volunteered stuff. So it's not like, hey, I'm just putting up with you people until the bell rings Correct. and I can get the heck I, I, out of I here. I agree with that 100%. Which that just irritates people and makes cranky people write and crankier stuff. Larry Scott never went on Radio Row at Pac-12 Media Day. Klyovkov mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had my head down and I look up and he was sitting right there. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was coming but At some it, point, but you didn't know he's coming then. Well, we had the schedule, but everything just blows by so fast that they're just, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, as you know, you've listened to it. All of a it. sudden, it's there. Yeah, right. and I didn't realize, oh, it's already 2 o'clock, and he's sitting right there, and he is a very personable dude. I have to give him that. Yeah. But I think he knows he needs to be because he the does. other guy wasn't. But he's pretty smooth. Very much so. I would agree he, with that 100%. He... When you didn't surprise him with any questions. He'd had the answer. He formulated it. He knew where he wanted to go. The answers were detailed, so you never felt like you're getting blown off. You know, he he was he Correct was ta- too. The, the thing he no said was down. Right. Remember, Mark Harlan kind of hinted. Well, you know, just the natural course of events. Sometimes games go away. So with the alliance, that might help. And we're like, well, what is he talking about? What games will go away? And Harlan finished an answer, and Klyavkov brought up. He says, well, with the SEC. Presuming they go ahead and everything happens with Oklahoma and Texas here, they may look. They may end up looking to play more conference games. Correct. We've heard that. Yes. And that means that some of these games that are scheduled with Pac-12 schools, there are multiple schools that have SEC games, and the Utes are one of them. They have uh, LSU. LSU and Arkansas way out. I think Florida the next two years probably wouldn't be impacted, but LSU and Arkansas no. are way out there. Correct. They could be impacted. Your, your Devils have yes. like five SEC series on the books over the course of the next 10 to 12 yeah. years. So some of those could be impacted. And he says that might open up spots for us to move it. But he says we won't unilaterally break contracts. They're not going to do that. Well, he said it's up to BYU and Utah to decide what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And Matt, uh, Matt, Mark has said that they're on the books through 2030. Yes. That's as far as they need to go. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, that's like twice the average career span of an AD. Not, not only should those games um, fill out the rest of Tom and Mark's times, but if they're on the average, which obviously uh, Tom is way past... Yeah, the five-year average. Tom will be done by twenty thirty. Right, and I don't, I don't, right. But I don't know that Mark will. And I, I don't Who's know that either. Man? I'm just saying, on the average, that's almost two ads worth of games. Mm-hmm. So they've 
scheduled out a long way. They have, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and Mark said, you know, based on whatever they do or don't do here and how things shake out, they'll have to assess where they are. Is that a league that's going to play eight conference games or nine conference games? And obviously BYU's got a bunch of people on the schedule, and they're going to have to decide who to keep, who maybe to push back a little bit, and who to just drop altogether. And so they'll have to iron all of that out. And so Mark just said, well, you know, we'll talk when everything, you know, basically they'll talk when the dust settles and stuff gets right out. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, all right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're out of time, and Hans and Scotty are up next. We'll see you tomorrow.